0: Trust me,
1: trust me, 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 trust
0: me. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to episode 168 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke and we are back this week, as promised, for part 4B of our series talking about the World Wrestling Federation in 1991, a series that we started uh, about a year ago with Kyle Ross and we are very happy to be wrapping it up today, a monster episode clocking in at over three hours. Uh, I want to thank everybody, obviously, not only for listening to last week's show, Uh, but also for your patience uh, as we've been approaching the end of the 1991 series finally it is here it is worth the wait I'm very happy to present the show to you guys if you haven't heard the previous episodes of this series talking about 1991 as well as the series we did talking about 1990 uh, with Kyle as well you can find them at the archive squaredcirclegazette.podbean.com is where they are you can find the backlog of episodes of this show on Spotify you can find them on Podbean on iTunes subscribe to the show Suggest it to a friend. We hope you enjoy the final part of our series talking 1991 in the WWF. Let's take you to it now. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me now for part 4B of our look at 1991 in the World Wrestling Federation, all the way uh, from the other side of the pond, from Cleveland, Ohio, by way of the Top Roar Nation podcast, Kyle Ross, back with me once again to break down everything September to December in the WWF in 1991. This obviously is the follow-up from the uh, the previous episode. Talking about all things Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and The Undertaker in the top of the card, Kyle, as we were just talking about, there are so many other things to talk about from this period of time, and we're going to hit them all today. This
2: may be our most ambitious podcast, Liam, in terms of scope. Yes. As I reread the notes last night, I said, my God, we are talking about so many things. And again, my obsession with leaving no stone unturned <laughs> has made our notes quite lengthy for today. But just think, in about three hours, we will finally be all the way through 1991 in the World Wrestling
0: Federation. You know, this, like, has been, this, this has been a magnum opus of sorts.
2: Yes, I mean, 1990, the very uh, just docile, odd, random year to look at. We got through that in what, about nine hours? Something like that. This has been like 20 But, I mean, you know, it's not like us being weirdos or anything. To be honest, we probably could have gone longer with some of these stories. I mean, Flair coming in, Sid coming in, Warrior leaving, steroids, exploiting
0: wars. It's insane. It's all happening. It's all happening in 1991. It's
2: all happening, and we've got three more hours to go. Because we spent, (laughs) as you mentioned on the last episode... About three hours just talking about the main event scene for these four months. and Because it was so significant with Ric Flair coming in. Now we got to talk about everybody else.
0: We do, and we're going to hit them all. And we're going to start off, we're going to kick it off, talking about the latest on the steroid front. Because obviously there's this Hulk Hogan-related implications that we talked about in Part 4A. But touching now on what the World Wrestling Federation does moving forward. Obviously this has been something that's been going on for months and months and months. We've been talking about it, even dating back to that 1990 series that you mentioned there. And uh, a headline that you've written here, what you going to do, Titan Sports, when steroid testing runs wild on you because it is finally here. The much-ballyhooed first drug test took place on Wednesday, November 13th, according to Dave Melton, the Wrestling Observer, who's the source of the notes here, uh, prior to the television tapings in New Haven. The test also took place one day prior to the scheduled piece involving alleged and not so alleged, he says, use of anabolic steroids by WWF wrestlers and the announcement of steroid testing by the company in July without any testing having yet taken place on Entertainment Tonight and a similar piece scheduled for the following day by Inside Edition.
2: I'm going to let you catch your breath right now, Leo, because what a patented Dave Meltzer run-on sentence that was. (laughs) I think we're at five commas there? (laughs) There may have been, yeah. Okay. Who's counting? Yeah, (laughs) who's keeping track at all?
0: Yeah, July is when this... And of course, this is this following on from what we mentioned in Part 4A. Or Kogan talked about how he had sat down with the to uh, create the most comprehensive steroid testing plan in all of sports, more so the NFL. The first test finally happening November 13th. Meltzer says... It was obvious from seeing the physiques of certain wrestlers in the past few days, and also confirmed by one source that at least some wrestlers had advanced warning of the first test and had gotten off steroids, even though there will be no penalties involved if any wrestlers failed. Only a few wrestlers were very openly upset about it on Wednesday.
2: Okay, we went to a different observer, one that we've referenced a few times, where Dave takes a retrospective look at this time period. March 1st, 2004 was the issue. And he mentioned this, because you talked about at the very open that the first drug test just so happens to be taking place one day prior to these uh, pieces being run by Inside Edition Entertainment Tonight. Meltzer says, as funny as it sounds with the timing, Vince McMahon had scheduled those tests before knowing the dates of those pieces. So while you know, we've got four decades of proof never to really trust Vince McMahon. In this case, it, I guess, was a coincidence. Unless if something new has come out in recent times uh, that it just so happens to be a coincidence that the drug test took place before the media was about to go after him.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, and this is what happens when you, you set a torch to the, the semblance of benefit of the doubt, you know? <laughs> like, the idea that they, there might be just, you know, a little bit of genuine coincidence involved. Because, again... For everything that we've heard and talked about in this in this series, rarely does it feel like such a perfect coincidence exists, but I guess it was in the works, and, and Meltzer says that this was a coincidence. so. Yeah. <laughs> well, Inside Edition will have none of it, as we're about to find out. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't buy it. Steve Planner, mentor of the WWF called both shows to tell them about the testing in New Haven. Inside Edition apparently cared little, says Dave, didn't change its story and just ended with its host making an apparent snide remark concerning the timing coincidence uh, of the piece and the first test. Entertainment Tonight, however, changed the entire story and rushed to get new comments from Bruno Sammartino and Alex Marvez. Uh, Entertainment Tonight then went to New Haven directly where they were doing the tests. They weren't allowed access to any big name wrestlers. From here, Dave says, the story gets fragmented. I'm not sure if the WWF actually provided them with two jobbers, Brian Donahue and Dusty Wolf, or if they just managed to corral them themselves. Donahue said the steroid testing, and this is a quote from Donah- from Brian Donahue, not Donahue, the talk show host, uh, is fine with us. It's fine with everyone in that locker room, which is great wrestler talk. Uh, yes. of course, Donahue himself wasn't tested. Wolf then said he wasn't tested, but as far as he knew, there were some tests given. According to the WWF, they specifically told Entertainment Tonight that the jobbers weren't gonna be tested. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've
2: got this picture in my head of just like Entertainment Tonight, like in the back and just like pinning these jobbers in a corner and throwing a microphone in their face. I couldn't find the actual clips, but um, no, I didn't. I didn't I, 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 I didn't. I actually didn't look for them Now that I say that out loud, but still, <laughs> this is uh, quite humorous to just picture in your mind. And I'm kind of shocked that WWF kept booking Wolf and Donahue after this. Mm. As Vince- we'll find out, yeah.
0: Yeah, so Vince was furious with Entertainment Tonight. I do love the idea that they told Entertainment Tonight the jobbers weren't going to be tested. Like they, <laughs> I hope they used those words.
2: <laughs> yeah, so all the, are those the guys who lose on your weekend programming every week?
0: <laughs> the guys already in the ring when we come back from commercial? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the result was another segment the following Monday after Vince called them up furious. This time, Hulk Hogan claimed to have been the first one to take the test, and how he wants the results of his test made public to clear his name and make everyone realize he represents physical fitness. They weren't released publicly, by the way. (laughs) So there's a a small note there. Also, Jim Duggan, (laughs) star of the piece, then claimed that he had worked hard for his body and resented any insinuations that he took shortcuts to get it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> As we continue to go on a downhill trajectory for wrestler quotes, Ric Flair was also on claiming to be, quote, the cleanest thing going today. <laughs> now, when it comes to anabolic steroids in relation to the WF Locker, okay, maybe he was close to clean. But uh, Ric Flair being the cleanest thing going today in 1991, I don't think that's an accurate comment, Liam.
0: Yeah, nor do I. <laughs> I do like Jim Duggan there actually being the one to stand up. Of all the people they could get to to make that comment that he worked hard for his body and resented the insinuations he took shortcuts to get it. I, I believe know. Jim Duggan. Yeah, I just picture with that two by four over
2: his shoulder. You know, just he's not having any of it. He doesn't like disrespecting the flag, and by God, he don't respect hacksaw's body. Disrespect <laughs> hacksaw's body either. Uh, back to Donahue, he did not get many more dates by 1992, but Wolf was. You know, still used regularly, despite that he, you know, made a real, he made the company look bad in that piece.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you can really hold it against him. You know, He's the one where it's like, yeah, all of us in that locker room. Like, that's just, that's just, yeah, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Speak on behalf of everybody. Now, the results of that first drug test, Meltzer says, were not released until months later. Uh, This is also from the retrospective piece that you were talking about before from Dave in 2004. Uh, The results are worse than McMahon feared, or so he claimed. Despite being told in July to get off steroids, 20 of the 41 wrestlers tested positive for steroids. But even before the results came in, McMahon had said to us ahead of time that the testing would be to determine levels of steroids in people's system. Nobody was going to be suspended. But in the second round of testing scheduled for several weeks later, if those who failed didn't get their levels of steroids down, then they would be suspended for six weeks. Just to throw this in, by the way, this is exactly what they did uh, in the wake of Eddie Guerrero's death as well in 2005. They did the exact same uh, testing for levels, no suspensions to start with. Uh, there were also doctors who handled drug testing in other sports, says Meltzer, who claimed testing for, for levels was inaccurate and were critical of this policy. The reason they didn't count the first test was perhaps because of the fear that if they did, they'd have to not enforce it because they wouldn't have enough people to tour. <laughs> which really says a lot. Uh, I, mean, was, well,
2: I mean, if half <laughs> the roster failed, I mean, there you go.
0: Yeah, there's going to be an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of guys like, well, Colonel Mustafa. if he'd have passed the test, actually, now that I think about it, but... Yeah. I mean,
2: you basically can't run two tours.
0: No. No. Uh, there was another reason as well, says Dave. Some steroids, like decadurablin, which is one of the more popular steroids of the era, could have stayed in people's system from before July. Highly unlikely, but not impossible. Before the controversy broke and the wrestlers were told to get off steroids, that is. Of course then, as now, there was no testing for growth hormone, and it's become clear in time that a few wrestlers were using GH to maintain their size and cuts during this crackdown, uh, clenbuterol, which I believe is used to treat asthma, which has become the favorite drug of many in WCW at the time, would have also passed the WWS test. Clarifies Dave.
2: I love how there is a preferred steroid in WCW.
0: Well, you know they they, they talk they talk. It goes yeah, on it. Yeah,
2: yeah, sure. Yeah, hey, you you won't believe what we're using down here in Atlanta. You guys got <laughs> so. uh, anyway. So twenty of the forty-one wrestlers test positive for steroids. No suspensions initially, except one, uh, fine individual got in a little bit of trouble. Cato, or Kato, as Al Hayes uh, refers to him as, aka Paul Diamond, gets a 30 day suspension for cheating on his drug test. <laughs> and what a Meltzer line this is. Quote, I think he was looking at the Iron Sheik's answers over Sheik's shoulders. This reminds me of a friend in high school who used to cheat on tests by copying off the dumbest guy in class. And when I asked asked him why, he said, that way the teachers will never accuse him of cheating on the tests. As the story goes, they felt he was using fake urine.
1: What? (laughs) What is that?
2: Notes or quote? Like, I get it. Okay, he got busted using fake urine you know, he gets suspended. What was that diatribe about his, his high school buddy cheating on tests? <laughs> it kind of makes no sense.
0: It's really, it's just like, it's a real bizarre, unnecessary detour that doesn't really make any kind of statement about the story itself at the time. But, uh yeah, Kato, who, by the way, was jacked.
2: Yeah, he kind of was.
0: He's like shadily on the quiet. You don't really look for it. But, I mean, god damn, you look at Kato in 91 and his shoulders. Oof.
2: Yeah. This was not your older brother's AWA bad company, Paul no. Marvin, any longer.
0: No, no. So. He he, he gotten quite big. Somewhere by the way, I think Sid might have read this observer about copying off the dumbest guy and started plotting his genius methods to beat the test next year when he's he when he brings doesn't he bring out a fake dick or something like that? <laughs> oh my god, that's
2: right. That's right. He does. He's like, Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, so I reread that section because I plopped this quote in the notes about Cato. Yeah. And I just was like, what is he talking about with looking at the Iron Sheik's answers if he used fake urine? It's not <laughs> like it was a written test, Dave. I, I was very <laughs> confused by that quote. Um, more hilarity here. December 4th in Austin, prior to this television taping, the Big Boss Man and Kerry Von Erich spoke to Cub Scouts and their parents about the dangers of drugs, being honest, and honoring your parents. True to form, Von Erich reportedly told the kids that his brother David died after he was repeatedly kicked by a Japanese wrestler.
0: <laughs> it's all about honesty.
2: I mean, yes, kids, be honest to your parents, and here's a complete line of bullshit about how my brother died. <laughs>
0: And if there's two like two guys that would know the dangers of drugs, I believe Kerry Von Erich would be uh, high on the list. And Boss Man, unfortunately, probably has a uh, a bit of knowledge himself.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have no laughing matter there. Um, no, but, how it yeah. ends. but but this, yeah, this. I mean, I just like was in tears. I got that tidbit actually from history. WWE.com. Oh, Man, that's it's good. Yeah, when I was scrolling through, and I saw that. I was like, we have got to mention this. <laughs> and you know, we're bringing all this up before we get to all the angles and what's going on in TV. To reinforce a lot what we talked about last time, Liam, there is probably a direct correlation, not probably, but is, between all this bad press and the WWE's declining business.
0: Yeah, things things have been – it's been like this for a while, but as we've been talking, for those of you who've been following us for this entire series, this has been – A snowballing effect that, that's, you know, it started kind of in bits and pieces. It dates back to WrestleMania 6. There were attempts of steroid stories trying to get in Canada when WrestleMania 6 went up there. It gathers, you know, the the, the negative press gathers momentum with the slaughter thing. We've been talking about it all summer long and it's just carrying on, carrying on, carrying on. And we're going to see the effects of how this goes on business. And I want to go back to the
2: last episode because we started by talking about. How the TV was a dramatic improvement mm. over what we talked about previously, like in 1990 and the first like half or two thirds of '91. Now we were pretty critical of how Hogan Flair was handled, yeah. But still, like it was like just watching the TV. I think you would agree it was better television, even if it wasn't as good as it should have been. And here we're about to talk about something that is certainly very good. We both love. And even with it being way better than anything that's happened in WWE in, like, two years, business keeps declining.
0: Yeah, and and it's unfortunate because what we're going to talk about now is one of my favorite childhood feuds. It is, of course, Randy Savage and Jake Roberts that we're going to move into here. Uh Melter writes that coming off a of Summerslam, which we obviously talked about previously, Savage and Jake was the plan. But Savage himself was not thrilled to be returning, insisting that he wasn't coming back on a full schedule. Uh Savage isn't going to be doing any wrestling for the foreseeable future, says Dave, uh, but will return to the commentary position on the Superstars of Wrestling Show in two or three weeks.
2: Yeah, and we kind of touched on this not the last episode, but maybe two episodes it was, three B. But had the Warrior not left, would they have done the reception angle at all? I, warrior Jake was already a thing. We had speculated does Warrior save Savage. You know, if if they do it. Like, and you know, he would have been could have you know, the fact that he was the guy who retired Savage and then would lead the reinstatement charge, that kind of does make sense now as I talk it out. Yeah. yeah. Um but The the reception angle very much was a way to shoehorn Sid into Warrior's old spot, and I think we mentioned this before, too. The match made in heaven without an angle just sounds very
0: bad. Oh, yeah, there's there's nothing happening there. I think, uh, like you, I think the angle may still have happened because, to me, that's the way to cross Warrior and Savage over and start kind of building that reinstatement, the whole idea. Because the fact that they'd already laid the groundwork for Taker and Jake to be feuding with Warrior, but nothing was going to happen at SummerSlam, it feels like Warrior makes the save... I'm, you know, based on what had happened prior to SummerSlam, where they'd done the build, where Jake finally turns on the Warrior, Warrior and Savage, you know, two peas in a pod, both having to deal with these guys, and Warrior kind of leading the charge of the reinstatement because he what he needs some backup or he wants some help or whatever, and he's the guy that beat Savage in the first place. To me, that's that's a very WWF idea of that era to kind of tie things up. So I do think that they probably would have just probably had Warrior in that. So I mean, you literally said it there—they shoehorned sit into the Warrior spot. I, I feel like that's what that was.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, it made sense. They needed somebody. Um, And we're going to kind of talk about Sid vis-a-vis the warrior. I think there's a point to be made coming up.
0: Yeah, big time. Now, around this time, and again, this is very, very shortly after SummerSlam as we enter September here. Randy Savage gave his notice, says Dave Meltzer, but that isn't a big deal right now as it sounds on the surface, he says. There's been contact made between Savage and WCW, but I I don't believe it's anything that could be close to being termed serious negotiations. Uh, You can see just how big a threat Titan sees WCW as being today when they devote so much television time to an angle with a guy who was given notice and can actually leave before ever doing the angle, although I'd give you long odds against WCW being able to pull the trigger on this deal since they haven't on any of the big ones yet.
1: Okay,
2: this is crazy. Yeah, that Randy Savage gives notice and that there's a big contract squabble when he is in the number two angle in the promotion. And I wanted to know: is this the Savage WCW offer that we hear about down the road? Um, maybe not until years later. That was bigger than what they offered Flair to stay. We reference this in part. The- Three, pardon me, but I, I've got it. like, I don't know when else they would have had contact with Savage around this period.
0: This is where I imagined it was, cause again, like, you know, when would they have even bothered making him an offer when he was contracted anyway, you know? Like, it, it seems like there's no real other time for Savage to talk to anybody, because even if it was like, you know, six months to a year before, it's like, his, you know, his deal wasn't running out then, so even if they talked, he can't go anywhere. So this feels like this is the time where, and again, Post-Flair, this is this is the whole idea of it being bigger than what they offered Flair to stay. Well, that has to be after Flair left. So here you go.
2: Yeah, it makes sense that they're more desperate right now because, mm-hmm. you know, WCW, we're actually going to reference their turning point <laughs> a little bit later on in this podcast. Yes, WCW's turning point will be mentioned. But they're, I mean, they're in the absolute shitter right now. I believe, as we talked about when Flair left, I mean, that four-month period of June through October is just dreadful. On their end. So I could see them just throwing a lot of money at Randy Savage.
0: Yeah. Well, they had Flair's salary, I guess. They didn't really sign anybody else at that point.
2: Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, Randy Savage obviously does not leave.
0: No. But they did end up picking up Rick Rude instead, so that wasn't too bad.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. When his deal expires, because he had the one-year non-compete.
0: Yeah. So, as we start moving, obviously this is after the reception angle, we see a Randy Savage promo, a very somber promo from Randy Savage, reflecting on the wedding reception, and how he just feels kind of powerless to do anything, obviously, because now that he can't wrestle, he can't do anything to kind of get back at Jake and The Undertaker. And he urges Sid to be the guy to kick Sid's, uh, to kick uh, Jake's ass on his behalf, which is this is a good this is a good promo. This is a great
2: promo. You think about all the great promos Randy Savage has done in his career. I would put this on the top tier. I yeah. heard it a few years ago on Between the Sheets when Zellner and Bix raved about it. I had not. They called it at that time. Like it was not a promo that I don't think had really been talked about a lot through the years, but they play it. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is really good. It really just takes you right into the angle. The, uh, the one awkward thing about the angle, which is Savage not being able to do anything about it and him kind of going, well, hopefully Sid Justice can sort of comes to the forefront, right? Like, yeah, I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want you to kick his ass Randy, <laughs> And uh, we should reference there was another angle. It's mentioned on TV, but I don't, it's never shown him trashing Jack Tunney's office. I think they just bring it up on TV that it happened, but there's never any video of that happening, correct?
0: I've never seen it.
2: Okay. So I, I had neither and I looked. It wasn't on our footage. So I, I think it was just something like, Well, reportedly, Randy Savage was furious about his reinstatement being turned on. He trashed Jack Tunney's office. I think that's how they handled it. Um, The other thing that was a little awkward was Savage. He asked Liz, I believe, multiple times. Liz was off camera. This interview took place uh, at Savage's home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, he kept asking if she needed any help with the laundry. (laughs)
0: Like he's just going to step away from this interview on national television to help out with the Yeah,
2: hey Gene, I gotta, (laughs) you know, Gene, I gotta fold these towels. But yeah, (laughs) we've made a few jokes here, but people really need to seek this out. This is a tremendous, tremendous promo by Randy Savage post uh, wedding angle, and um, you know, obviously building as this feud goes along.
0: Savage did this from time to time. It's the rare, it's the rare occasion for those who haven't seen it where he changes his tone. And it really, really works. Actually, it's awesome because there's a, there's a similar one where I remember. I think it's uh it's before Halloween Havoc '96 where he's gonna wrestle Hogan and they do the thing where Hogan's gonna pl- he plays the the video of Miss Elizabeth on like a swing talking about how she wants Randy Savage back and still loves him, and then it cuts back to Savage watching this video and he, you know with the real life implications and everything. And Sarah was just is so awesome. He just, again, completely changes his tone and just talks really quietly. And he's got glassy eyes talking about how love is fragile, relationships are fragile, and Hulk Hogan, life is fragile. And it's just so great. Savage is awesome when he has to change tone like this.
2: Yeah, you know, I think
0: there were periods of his career when he just cut
2: a typical Randy Savage. Those were still good. But when he had a feud to really sink his teeth into, when it had like a personal element, I mean, my God.
0: Yeah. And I think we get into one of them here. So, as we kind of progress with Sarah obviously he's still, you know, kind of hoping that Sid's going to be the guy reinstated. Jake appears on the funeral path to talk about Sid. And he's just, he's got his snake with him and he's just slapping the shit out of the snake.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was the snake I do? I mean, He would just pound that thing. <laughs> like, I just saw, in your notes, it just says, Jake slaps the shit out of own snake. I'm I'm like, okay, that's an odd note. I looked at him like, God, he is pummeling that snake. Jake Roberts throughout this period is just cutting unbelievable heel promo after unbelievable heel promo. I particularly love the ones where Taker and Bearer were standing behind him. There's one I noted, once you say the vowels, brother, it goes downhills awfully fast. Hopefully, uh, neither of our wives uh, catch wind of that promo because I got <laughs> quite a chuckle out of that. But there, there's just so <laughs> many just promo where it's like, my God, Jake is in the zone. This is really peak Jake Roberts. And going back to the last show, we talked about Flair's promos not being up to his usual par. Some of that was WWE maybe not letting him be the nature boy. But do we think part of that was due to Jake's promos by comparison, just being so good and just so much better?
0: Yeah, I think part of it, we we talked about this before, Flair's promos felt kind of like Vince's words and Vince's Vince's vision for what Flair was going to be, words that Vince himself isn't really all in on, and obviously just being delivered with Rick's delivery. This is all Jake, and you can tell that he's been wanting to do this for a long time, He's had a ton of ideas, and this is—he's just on fire. Every single one, he just comes off like the most sinister, sleazy fucker. <laughs> he yeah, he really
2: does. Yeah, and and it's the right kind of heel. It's not like you know this dumb preening Seth Rollins that you get in twenty twenty two.
0: Prancing around, like, yeah, you're
2: like, I just want to turn this off. Like with Jake Roberts, you're captivated, you want to watch it, and when he's yeah. done, you're like, God, I hope Randy Savage kicks this guy's ass. Yeah. Unfortunately, we still got to rely on Sid Justice being the one to kick his ass, and that was problematic, as we're going to talk about here.
0: Oh, what a segue, Kyle. Advances for the Sid Justice versus Jake Roberts matches are week around the horn, reports Dave Meltzer in the Observer. It's no secret as to why, because the angle is with Randy Savage, but Savage still hasn't agreed to go back on the road.
2: Meltzer also, I thought, had a very good quote. Uh, I don't know if it was the same Observer or later on. Quote, while Justice has been getting a phenomenal reaction live, a phenomenal reaction and selling wrestling tickets are two very different things. Mm. That's a great quote not only to think about in the context of Sid, but in wrestling today. Yes, so, it is. Right? You know, like so many guys get a reaction, and everyone's like, oh, what a star. Oh, you can build around him. Yeah, he's over. But getting a reaction and being a person who can actually make people consciously decide – I want to go to the arena to see this guy are two different things. It's easy. once you're in the arena, of course you're you know unless the show sucks, you're probably going to cheer for something. <laughs> but you know, getting people to the building so they cheer is a whole different skill, and that I think was always kind of the big asterisk on Sid, right?
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's the story of his career, isn't it, in
2: one sentence? Yeah, he always looked cool if you were watching. He would get reactions, but Sid Justice never really drew a dime and it's you know again this instance probably not his fault right because it very much is people are already salivating to see savage beat up Jake. they don't want to see this match it seems like a consolation almost and therefore i gotta ask is this where the warrior was missed because warrior already had the built-in feud with jake and that was from the Cobra thing they did over the summer. Whereas Sid, it's just kind of we said, we used the term shoehorn earlier. Could Warrior and Jake have drawn in the interim before you got to Savage and Jake? At least better than Sid Jake did.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I would say. So. And the other thing, too, is people, you know, and Sid's really pretty damn new. You know, like I said, yeah. he's, he's only been around for like a month and a half, two months at this point when they start doing the matches. So I, you know, I, I'll i give Sid a little bit of a, a benefit of the doubt there, but it, I would have loved to have seen in context to the time how well Jake and Warrior did as a draw, especially based on what happens, well, obviously, with Jake and Savage that we're going to talk about. Warrior was a big star. Warrior had sold tickets with Undertaker all summer and was doing tremendous business. So I really would have been interested. It would have been. It would have been actually kind of the... The, the definitive line on Jake that we never really get on how well he would do.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to just – if we can just stall for a little bit. I'm going to look at something real quick here to see if we have any – did the Warrior and Jake work at all on house shows before Warrior quit? I'm seeing in August leading up to SummerSlam, it's all Undertaker Ultimate Warrior. So did they ever even once work – on house shows ultimate warrior undertaker ultimate war i I don't know if there's a single instance of them actually working like i'd love to see if you know there was and we've got an attendance figure on that so yeah we know he leaves
0: at summers i don't think there was i don't think there would have been anyway because he, he turned very shortly before SummerSlam, and they would have needed the time to advertise the match ahead of time for it to have done any kind of business so a
2: great point a great point so yeah we have no evidence whatsoever to compare that
0: no, so it's, it's very, very tough to kind of say. But again, that the, the missing piece of the puzzle, while well, Savage isn't there, Sid's getting his feet under him still and is kind of not really belonging to this angle, whereas Warrior did and had been built in for months. A, a huge blow, a huge blow. And it kind of, as we'll see, maybe kind of kneecaps him out of the gate, but we'll, we'll see where they go. Now, they do an angle on television where Sid is supposed to wrestle a uh, job guy called El Diablo, which is a pretty good angle where... Bearer comes out and presumably pays off this masked man uh, with a briefcase so that Taker can fight Sid in his place. Diablo, who leaves, runs back down when the fight gets going to attack Sid, revealing that El Diablo is Jake Roberts. Uh, I think Bearer wheels out the casket. The briefcase gets opened to reveal a a huge snake inside. They tie Sid in the ropes, and Jim Duggan is the guy that makes the save here.
2: (laughs) Yeah, if you're scratching your head why Jim Duggan, obviously (laughs) Savage can't get physically involved because he's trying to be reinstated. They will get to this, why this pairing happened in a little bit, but they do run tag matches later in the fall. Duggan and Savage against Jake and taker. So, you know, I guess they had maybe some semblance of that. And that's why they chose Duggan to run in here. It is a solid angle. I liked it. I have a question for you. Sit and taker is something that felt like it had potential before el diablo runs back down to reveal himself to jake roberts sit and taker do a stare down and the people are pretty jacked for it in the building yeah and it was my understanding that they had some house show matches and that they they weren't great matches obviously they were just basically choke fests but the crowd would get kind of into it like just the sight of these two monsters like choking each other simultaneously, which actually sounds pretty horrible uh, in retrospect, but I, I don't know. I, I think it might've been something they had in line in mind for mania
0: down the road. Could have been, I mean, this, this, I mean, it is, it is the Vince wheelhouse. Like you say, two, two big guys the monster. that has been protected for so long. Sid, you know, obviously the, the new hot baby face uh, monster star himself. When they, when they did the tease that they're going to fight, people are into this. They're really into this. And again, this is that thing of live reaction versus drawing money, but see got the reactions. Absolutely. And
2: knowing what comes later, they kind of tease the Cobra angle a little bit here, don't they?
0: Yes, they do. He's tied up in the ropes. The snake comes out and then Duggan appears. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I thought that was a cool bit of business, too.
2: I I don't know if because obviously there's a lot of moving pieces that we're going to get into. But, uh, yeah, it worked
0: out nicely. Yes, yeah, so of course. Just because this uh, this angle needs, you know, another leg up, Sid Justice gets injured October seventh in a match against Jake. He'll be out of action for an as yet undetermined amount of time, says Dave Meltzer due to a bicep injury suffered Monday night in Orlando. Justice has been replaced on the road in his main event matches against Jake Roberts with Randy Savage. Uh, So I guess the emergency call came. The injury hasn't been diagnosed, but is a probable left bicep tendon problem, and he'll be out of action until the exact problem is diagnosed, and it's determined what to do from there. I suspect that the TV tapings which take place next week, that, if Justice will be out for any length of time, they will rush the reinstatement of Savage. This puts Savage in an incredible bargaining position, since he's repeatedly turned down the request to return to a full-time schedule, but now, more than ever, The WWF needs him full-time. Of course, Warrior gone, Sid gone. It is just Hogan and Savage at the top. Yeah,
2: and the Sid Squeegee incident also occurs this weekend. (laughs) Yes,
0: it does.
2: (laughs) Uh, You you want to do a brief? I mean, obviously, there's very few as qualified to talk about that as yourself. You would just want to just, you know, for the two people listening to this that may not know all about that.
0: Yeah, so the weekend of this incident, uh, the the WCW crew they're they're around. Sid ducks his head into a bar, and there've been problems with him and Pillman dating back to the uh, to to January uh, when they did a house show match at the Meadowlands. Uh, Sid basically squashed him in five minutes. Pillman ended up getting kind of a little bit of a mini push as uh, as Dusty Rhodes came and t- take the book. Obviously, he kind of looked pretty good in Wrestle War. First guy in, he's there at the end, and they were doing the Horseman Revenge Tour on television where Pillman's wrestling everybody. They do a rematch at the Meadowlands in April, and Sid insists that it's going to be again, just like in January, a five-minute match, and I'm going to give you nothing. Uh, Pillman refused to take the powerbomb, a general principle, just as a a special. He actually lost to a backbreaker, of all things, on this show, this five-minute
2: match. Yeah, you know, that might have been worse. <laughs> yeah, Losing on well. a backpacker, and and for the record, you know, don't forget that there was
0: that nasty powerbomb in the war games match too. Yeah, so. so I'm guessing that was probably weighing on the mind of I'm not taking that fucking thing again. Yeah. So anyway, Sid heads to this bar and starts. Yeah, you know, he has a few a uh, few and uh, and basically gets kind of a little bit uh, a little bit obnoxious and starts talking about how you know, he's in the WWF where things are done right, the big guys are put on top, the little guys don't work with the big guys, and of course this, he then kind of (laughs) turns his attention to Mike Graham and Brian Pillman, and at one point, I think he says that, you know, he basically says that Brian Pillman doesn't know how to work, which is just fantastic. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine Sid saying that? What a freaking beauty this guy is. I know. So, of course, Pillman has had enough, and he, he challenges Sid to fight. Pillman obviously not Afraid of anybody, and Sid kind of starts going along with it, but then backs up, put you know, pulls his uh, pulls his sleeve up on his shirt to reveal a band aid, uh, saying that he's he's got a bicep injury and he's not going to fight and risk getting hurt. Leaves the building, comes back in armed with the squeegee, uh, <laughs> looking to do some serious damage, and uh, apparently Mike Graham just went up and just took it right off him. <laughs> he's like, get the get out of here. <laughs>
2: Got my squeegee out,
0: by the way. It's about
2: to snow here in Cleveland any hour now. So, yeah, so very timely, all (laughs) things considered. Now, back to the WWF side of things. How do we think this Sid injury affects what the plans were for Jake Savage? If Sid's not hurt, Survivor Series is obviously going to happen as advertised with Sid and Jake captaining respective teams. Mm Mm-hmm. We likely would not have gotten that Savage reinstatement push so soon and maybe not the match and angle at this Tuesday in Texas even, right? Possibly. Okay. My guess is they may have been holding off Jake and Savage for Mania. We talked about Sid and Taker. And then in the last episode, we talked about Hogan and Flair. I think that there's a scenario, while certainly not written in stone, okay, this was not, I'm not saying it was booked by Moses, okay, but (laughs) I think it's maybe I scribbled on a little notepad at Titan Towers. WrestleMania Eight is Hogan Flair, Jake Savage, Sid Taker.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But then Hogan Flair gets all screwed up and isn't done well and doesn't draw well, and then this Sid injury happens, and they just kind of have to throw all the plans up in the air and reconfigure everything.
0: That feels like it makes sense. Uh, it's a long time to build, and we talked before about how there weren't that many angles that went from August September time through WrestleMania, historically speaking. But I feel like that makes sense because it doesn't feel when you watch the television, it doesn't feel like they're hitting the savage, yo know, thing. That it's imminent. You don't really get a sense that it's coming like around the corner. And having Duggan be the guy to do the run-in kind of speaks volumes, to be honest, in terms of Savage yeah. not being there. If, if Savage was always going to be the guy who was imminently there, he would have been that, that – that's his spot to run in, not yeah. Duggan.
2: Yeah, and they turned it up so hard after this injury, too, mm-hmm. that it makes me think that, yeah, plans change, pal. And we did talk about in the last episode how, you know, at least as far as TV was concerned – you didn't see the Mania angles starting in September, but they usually had an idea what they would be. Yeah. The company, right? Like, I think if you look back at WrestleMania 7, just the previous year here that we're talking about, it's pretty obvious that they had Hogan Slaughter, Savage Warrior, Pennsylvania as the two top matches, probably early fall. Yeah, probably around this time. Yeah. So, and generally speaking, go back to any year. By the fall, I think they knew where they wanted to go for WrestleMania. This is probably the first time where they weren't a hundred percent sure, and there was talk i don 't know where I got this from now, but i didn't i didn't cite it, but there was talk that the cobra angle was originally intended for Sid so he the cobra would bite Sid. Yeah, did you ever hear about this No no okay i i I don't know. I think Jake Roberts might have been the source about that now that I look at this quote, so take that with a grain of salt. Or whatever else. Yes, yeah, so, yeah great. Whatever. And then uh, the Mister Madness gimmick. Yeah. Mister, <laughs> so, who could this masked man be? It was Randy Savage working in a mask because he still had not been reinstated on television, but they needed someone to take Sid's place at the house show. So yeah, it was Jake and Mister Madness uh, headlining. So that
0: doesn't say fun. much for the reign of Jack Turney.
2: No, and. We talked about Hogan Flair appearing in original advertising for this Tuesday in Texas. So was Jake versus Mr. Madness. I don't know when that would have been on, but so I don't know. A lot of moving pieces here with this Sid injury, but I think if Sid doesn't get hurt, Randy Savage isn't coming back uh, for Tuesday in Texas. And Sid, of course, ends
0: up ends up being out until the Rumble. Absolutely. So he's he's gone for the for the foreseeable future here. Now the Survivor Series promos. They begin airing, and obviously it's the four-on-four four stuff that we talked about last week a little bit with Ric Flair doing promos with it with DBRC, Mountie, and uh, and Warlord. And it's kind of weird, you know. Sid seems to see, obviously this is pre-injury, but Sid seems to struggle as a babyface promo. Yeah, he's he's got that thing where he's having to smile and he's having to <laughs> kind of do the stuff that we've seen Vince trying kind of angle people into doing. Very odd seeing Jake doing a promo standing next to the snake murdering earthquake. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: somebody needed to think about that. It's not like it, we're talking about an angle that happened years ago. We're talking about something that happened
0: months ago on your television. <laughs> like da- Damien's dead because earthquake got him. And now well, they're, just, they're buddies. May- maybe that's how j- evil Jake was. Didn't even
2: yeah. care anymore. He's like, you know, I'm so evil. I- I'm glad you sat on my old snake.
0: <laughs> the new one's better anyway. Yeah. An injured Sid does a promo saying that Jack Tunney should reinstate Randy Savage in his place because it's the just thing to do. Okay,
2: let's just set it up for people who are, you know, staring at their computers or or, or looking this stuff up or don't remember. The four-on-four match was originally set to be Sid, Boss Man, and LOD against Jake Roberts, IRS, and the Natural Disasters. What a team. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um...
2: Sid gets hurt, so immediately the big selling thing on TV is will Randy Savage replace Sid as the team captain for the baby faces? Couple things here. Uh, you we already kind of touched on it, Jake and Earthquake being on the same team, just so egregious. I, I was trying to find other examples to compare it to. So Piper and Snooker were on the same team in '89. But that was at least years removed from their feud, and Piper, yeah. I believe, at the Survivor series says something.
0: When like, they're in the shower?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, when they're in the shower.
2: <laughs> what a what an incredible follow up that is. Yes, Liam, When they are in the shower. Uh he's like, Oh, and you know about this guy, and I know about this guy. Like he's he does touch on their past and sort of let you know it's like, Yeah, I know about this guy's all about. I want him on my team yeah. because I know what it's all about. Uh, Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat were teammates in 87. Now, that's a pretty good comp for this because yep. it's the same year. And even they cut a promo acknowledging it. Now, Steamboat, I think, was a replacement for maybe JYD. Mm. Um, But I specifically remember a podium promo where they acknowledged their past and said this was all about, you know, their mutual enemy, the honky tonk man. Yes. Here, there was nothing of that whatsoever. It was just, oh, yeah, Earthquake's teaming up with Jake Roberts, and there's no acknowledgement whatsoever of what used to happen. And that's yeah. pretty bad. It's something that we would expect from today's WWE. Yeah,
0: quite frankly. frankly. Yeah, because that—that that is the kind of thing that it's—it's a—it's a one-liner. It's Jake just saying, "I know how how evil this guy is," and again, same thing that Piper and i said, you know, "I know what this guy's all about better than most," and and someone that dark is a guy I want on my side, you know, something like that. Yeah, anything could have worked. Yeah, and
2: so the rest of these teams, let's mention some real nondescript feuds here with Boss Man and IRS, and your tag title feud of LOD and disasters, you know, as. There was like nothing going on with the television with that. No hot angle.
0: No nothing. Well, Boxman I mean, and Irwin, I mean, they'd mentioned each other in promos, but nothing had actually happened. Like, why are they beefing?
2: Yeah, and I mean, LOD disasters, that basically just goes back to SummerSlam when the disasters were harassing Earthquake and LOD came. Or, uh, oh, Andre. Andre, Andre, pardon me. And LOD came to Andre's rescue. But yeah, I mean, these were just like, those were just two awful feuds. I mean, I get that the captain stuff is carrying it, but.
0: Ugh.
2: Yeah, not a lot to say. I mean, I, yeah,
0: I'm not sure if there's any IRS feud that's going to set the world on fire. Anyway, no, but...
2: no, no, it's not. But like this, I mean, we've talked about Bossman quite a bit, you and I, here on these podcasts. You know how he was kind of, you know, a bit of an unsung hero of 1990. Yeah. And, you know, he challenge is perfect at WrestleMania. He has the feud with the Mountie in the summer, which is fun. You know, ninety-two, people remember the feud with males. Honestly, this you know, working with fucking IRS is like the one cold period the boss (laughs) man had in this whole run.
0: Imagine that. IRS is so bad. (laughs) More on him later. Fucking hell, some of the promos he cuts towards the end of the year. Oh man. Anyway, the television taping that takes place October twenty-first, Fort Wayne, Indiana, a very memorable one. Approximately six thousand fans in an 8,000-seat building, but the main angle saw the snake bite on Randy Savage. This got a lot of reaction live and upset a lot of kids in the audience, says Dave Meltzer, but oh, what a spicy meatball of an angle this is.
2: Yeah, same television taping that they did the funeral parlor angle that we Mm -hmm. raved about on the last episode with Blair and Undertaker beating down Hogan. This is fucking great, as you put in your notes. I mean, I'll just steal (laughs) that quote right there. Uh, you know, as I sit here and think back to it, obviously I didn't need to rewatch it. I'd seen it many times, but yeah. the line that just sticks with me: "For the love of God, will someone help Randy Savage?" I mean, this let Vince McMahon be peak Vince as an announcer.
0: Yeah, this is this is this is him. This is him doing what he always dreamed about. Piper at ringside is really good, acting frantic, trying to help. I love like the, the chaos of it is is obviously great, but uh, there are some unbelievable shots as they're trying to wheel Savage away, and they got that shot where Jake's in the corner, and the snake is like in front of him, kind of like rising up, and it looks like he's like defending him, and he's like protecting Jake, and then like Jake like snaps slaps the snake as uh, as as they're kind of whisking Savage away to turn the snake's attention to him, and it's like they're talking, you know, like Jake's like just like looking directly in his eyes. it's like they're communicating and it's just such an awesome visual
2: you look at how this angle is produced and i think the listeners should do this okay when you're watching this back compare it to how just poorly and shot and overproduced modern wwe is yeah like technology is supposed to enhance you would think but it It clearly, you know, here, 30 years ago, they just knew how to shot this, and they shot it perfectly. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. Uh, We should talk about how the angle started. So Jake wins a squash match, and then he starts calling out Savage. Yeah. And it's great. So Savage, at this point, they're really pushing the reinstatement thing hard on television. And this is like – this airs right before Survivor Series, like right before – Mm-hmm. And the, they're intimating that Savage is so close to being reinstated. Just, he's just gotta behave himself for like one more week. <laughs> right. And so that makes Savage or Roberts just daring him to get in the ring. He calls him like gutless and now he's hiding behind a skirt. And I think Jake even mentions Piper's skirt and Elizabeth's yeah. skirt. And Vince is like, don't listen to him. Just don't listen to him. And then, then finally, Savage, it was so great. So he's like, I'm just gonna go get a closer look. <laughs> and, Vin, and, and and Piper's like no that's not a, and Vince's like no no he just wants a closer look like Vince you dumbass <laughs> but like god bless you Vince like you know he's just playing along and then Savage yeah, gets in the ring and obviously we all know what happens he gets beat down hooked in the ropes the fucking snake just it, it would suck to be Savage but the fact that the snake wouldn't let go of his arm oh it's perfect yeah makes it way better I mean it just and the the audible high pitch screaming you hear in the background while they're zoomed in on the snake biting his arm is so awesome. And then the camera shots of the children Coming being in their like eyes. very upset. You know, there's like a couple kids where it's just like you couldn't have paid child actors to respond that well. Nice. This was just perfect. This was. As good of an angle as you'll get on syndicated television, I absolutely love it. It is one of the most memorable angles of this time period.
0: Just a complete home run, absolute home run. The 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 thing. What's great about this, especially because again, I, I saw this in retrospect, but I, when I saw it, I didn't know that it was happening as it was as it was unfolding as I watched the uh, the video. But you had years of Jake bringing this snake out. And they've never done anything like this. There's been teases, and there's been, you know, all oh, the heels are scared. When he pulls the snake out, and they're like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And there's that thing where he just picks it up, and, like, they're teasing it, and the officials come to ringside, and the, the snake's kind of, you know, going all over the place. At one point, it's like he snaps at Savage's face, which is a little bit daunting. And then when he actually, like, sinks in, it's like, oh, my God, it's actually, ha- you know, this is actually happening. Like, this is just something that I could imagine Would just blow away somebody who have been watching for years because this is just this is just something that you hadn't seen before. You know what's crazy is by
2: modern standards, this angle doesn't occupy a lot of TV time. No, I mean it's not like it took up like ten minutes or anything. But they the way it happens, like you talk about, like how they build it up and everything, everything you are saying, everything gets a chance to breathe. Yeah, and that just builds the drama. It's not rushed. Like it, it's amazing how they could they could do less in a shorter period of time back then,
0: yet accomplish so much more. Yeah, yeah, because because the ideas are simpler. It's like, okay, what's going to happen in this angle? The snake's going to bite savage. It's not going to be a. But it's the how do we get the most out of this? What is going to be pushed as a serious thing, and will look like a serious thing? And it's it's the again. It's, it's the bill. It's not just Jake attacks him and does it. It's the taunting him, taunting him. The the fights are. He ties him in the ropes. The the tease of the snake. The officials. Elizabeth screaming. Yes. Vince there. yelling.
2: That snake better be devenomized.
0: Yes. <laughs> Savage rolling off the stretcher when they try and put him on the first time because he's all over the place. And well,
2: or or even when he first gets untangled and he's like trying to like fight back, but the you know intimation is that like there's like poison running through his veins and he like mm-hmm. just weakly throws the punch and jake roberts i can actually picture this in my head now as we're talking about it i can see it he is so great when he's just standing there and he just yeah. letting savage swing wildly at him because he knows savage isn't gonna hit him and he's like avoiding savage and posing at the same time just basically like, look at what an evil piece of shit i am Yeah. and yeah you mentioned piper saying i gotta go and like Him protecting Liz and yeah, it it just 10 out of 10 angle. And incredibly, this is, you know, not even the best angle they would do over the next,
0: you know, in terms of TV time, 10 days or whatever. God, it's it's kind of mind blowing. when You really think about that short time span for for, for this to what we're going to talk about, because. You think well, we will come to it. I don't want to jump ahead, but Survivor mm. series like you said is right around the corner. They do this right before and as a result of this angle neither Savage or Jake works this show. But the can promote. should we talk about the you know, Meltzer talks about. I guess we we kind
2: of hit this but um Meltzer says how the angle uh where Savage is bit by the snake airs in both censored and uncensored fashion on oh, USA yes. on Sunday night. Let, let, we should talk about that, because I just love this idea of Meltzer shaming the snake's looks.
0: <laughs> That's right, I forgot about this. So, of course, as you say, the angle airs in in, in syndication, and then they, they, they do the uncensored version on USA uh, on the Sunday night. And supposedly, there are a lot of complaints about the uncensored version. Meltzer says, as angles go, it was almost an ultimate hot shot angle. And in bracket says, but doesn't everything seem like they all are these days? Uh, Which is interesting. Um, We'll come back to that, maybe. But the camera work was astounding, with the kids crying and Elizabeth frantic. The kids and Elizabeth made the angle almost as much as all those close-ups of that ugly snake's face.
2: (laughs) I just thought that was just...
0: I'm assuming he's talking about the reptile, not Jake. Yes,
2: not Jake Roberts. But uh, do people really call and complain about that kind of stuff? This was, this was a different time. I know, but I, I don't know. I think like people complain a lot today. Like I just always am so odd by that. Oh, like I'm going to call. Like who do you call? If something pissed me off on television, like who do you even call? I wouldn't even know who, like I've seen some dumb shit on TV that I'm like, my God, this should never be allowed to be on again, but I, I don't know who to call. Uh, I will say this too, as we're about to get into the late build for survivor series. After this Cobra, they went really, really heavy. Like, will Randy Savage be reinstated in time for Survivor Series? And the elimination match really did seem hotter
0: as a result. I was almost looking forward to it, except... (laughs) It doesn't happen because neither Savage or Jake actually work Survivor Series. They do appear on the show. They do cut promos. And Savage is finally officially reinstated with the match ordered this Tuesday in Texas.
2: Okay, so let's just again connect all the dots, cross all the I's, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, pardon me, for everyone at home. They go so heavy with the reinstatement angle. They reinstate Savage, but he doesn't work Survivor Series, and instead you have to order a second pay per view to see his return. That is pretty shameless. <laughs> so, uh, should they have just had Savage and Jake captain these teams? Eat? Even, i know this tuesday in texas sort of throws a wrench in because you probably can't have them in the elimination match and do what they did at this tuesday like if you have them in the elimination match you're probably then just going to run the angle they do at this
0: tuesday in texas then right i, I guess i mean the thing, i mean this was a piss weak closer for a pay-per-view as we're yeah. going to talk about this 3, three on 3 is on
2: but yeah, the, Big Boss Man and LOD versus IRS and Natural Disasters
0: closes that pay-per-view. It's like, this is it? <laughs> this yeah. is the end? Pull, pulling them out, so this is the thing, pulling them out does feel like the right move when you think about how, I mean, they really badly wanted that second pay-per-view to draw, and they wanted this concept to be a success, so if you're going to do that, I guess it makes sense to do it there since you had Hogan and, and Taker, the, the first Hogan-Taker match at yeah. Survivor Series that you need both at the same time, like Savage, like after the reception angle, all the talk, the snake bite, the idea of him like standing on the ape and waiting for the tag, is is a little bit kind of odd. And then you just know they would have done like a, they probably you know, they probably would have done a gutless finish anyway. Like the you know, the, the countouts and DQs you'd expect in Survivor So It may have actually cooled things down before they got to the big match, whenever it would have been. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, we should also point out Jake's sweater for his promo. <laughs> a hey, special hey, costume, not just the sweater, but the sweater with the leather trousers. Yes,
2: a uh, phenomenal outfit for Thanksgiving Eve for Jake. My God, I would have loved to, you know, have Thanksgiving turkey dinner at uh, the Roberts household here, or part the, of the Smith household, as mm-hmm. it may be. But um, yeah, <laughs> I just, don't know about that family reunion. Yeah, yeah, good point. Actually, to be honest, that's probably the worst fucking place to have Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> at. <laughs> I, I must not make must not make Grizzly Smith joke. Must not no. make Grizzly Smith joke. Uh so yeah, I. You know, we talked about on the last episode, you know, the combined revenue of Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas, and if that makes you rethink the idea of being a failure, yeah, because of and we people can you know remember that, but man, it, with in the case of Savage and Jake, it makes you think it would have been better to just have one pay per view. It would have been less sleazy, I guess. Because if, yeah. if there's only one pay-per-view, they're obviously going to be the captains, okay? You're going to announce ahead of time that Savage is reinstated. And you're probably going to run the angle you do at this Tuesday in Texas after the elimination match.
0: Yes. Okay. It does tie it up in a in a neater package if they were doing the one show. But again, that's... When you're doing two shows this close apart, I mean, and your, and your only device is television... Pretty much, obviously, you have to do this because it seems like I say, it seems quite shameless and gutless in a way that they do it. But uh, it's, it's the you know, the nature of how they operate. I don't think they would know any other way. Yeah. Well, and
2: again, people have seen Survivor Series '91. I'm sure at least once or twice. The start of that pay per view <laughs> just basically being a shill for another pay per view yeah. is pretty bad. <laughs> Like it, right, I mean, th- there's no pay per view in history that qu- is quite like that. They just devote, you know, they recap the angle and they have Jack Tunney reinstate him, and they announce, yes, and you know, whatever, six days from now, there's gonna be a show in San Antonio. I don't think they come out right away and say that it's gonna be a pay per view, but they start obviously over the course of that, they tease it, and then you know, late, then Tunney says. This Tuesday, you know, in Texas will also be the Hogan Undertaker rematch. So by the time yeah. the show is done with, you know that there's going to be another big show go- coming. But yeah, it's just pretty, sh- again, to use the same word,
0: shameless. Very shameless. Having said that, when we finally arrive at San Antonio for Tuesday in Texas, an all-timer of an angle here because, what will they do? we get the match, Savage goes over, but the aftermath is the only thing that people are going to be talking about because – they tease that Jake's, Jake has the reptiles banned from ringside for this match. But he has one under the ring. So he pulls it out and <laughs> the snake. And Liz comes in and Jake slaps Liz. And yeah. the promos afterwards are so good. Yeah. Jake especially. But just the just the, the outrage. I mean, we're going to talk about this in depth. But just the outrage at Jake doing that. Putting his hands on Liz. Again, another thing that you'd never really seen that was just galling. Yeah, so I think from start
2: to finish, the the promos before the match even, Mm. all the way through, this is probably as good a 30 to 35 minutes, however long it is, of WWF television that there was in this, you know, Kind of like what the first glory period, yeah, I mean you'd be hard pressed to find a better thirty consecutive minutes of wF television, so I love the start of the match. people always complain about this now, how there's like a feud and two guys begin by locking up,
1: mm. right that's always
2: like the dirt worst when they do <laughs> yeah. that here, you know both got that they had cut great promos beforehand, particularly Roberts. And Roberts is walking to the ring, and Savage just comes out and just attacks him.
0: Just gets him,
2: yeah. And Bobby Heenan, who is always you know a jokester, you know, and all you know, just like making fun of stuff and whatever, he kind of takes this serious tone for the match, which really helps get it over. Yeah. I think he also the effect of oh my god, Savage is going to tear him apart.
0: Yes, I love and, that
2: line. And, you just, and you're watching, holy crap! This is like next level feud for this era of WWF, and. What do you think
0: about Savage winning? Like, just, you know, he hits the elbow and wi- wins. Yeah, it surprised me. I thought this earlier, this this had DQ in all over it, you know? But you know what's
2: funny is they do that, but the post-match angle is so strong, you forget that
0: Randy Savage wins. Which is probably their thinking, that they can afford to lose.
2: And it worked. It worked in that regard. So, yeah, after the match, Savage was going to hit Roberts with a chair. The ref didn't want to let him do it. So there's this tussle between the ref and Savage for the chair. Jake then comes to and is able to DDT Savage. Yeah. And then he DDTs him again. And then I think that's when Liz comes out. Or maybe she comes up between the first and second. I can't remember. But between the second, the for the third DDT, again, all-time stuff. I I know you will recall this as soon as I mention it. Jake has him cinched for the DDT and he looks right at Elizabeth and his own eyes and he just kills him dead with the DDT. And it's just like, oh, my God, this is so good. And then, you know, Liz is laying over him. Jake is yelling, Do you love him? him? Do you love him? Yes. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, then he's finally goes, you make me sick. And he just grabs her by the hair and the audible gasp mm. from that crowd when they're like, Oh my God, like this was, you know, you talk about the forbidden door. <laughs> this was something that you never would have thought could have happened. If somebody would lay their hands on Liz. I know she took the bump on the main event show, the mega powers twin towers match, but that was like, Played up as like an accident, hmm. right? Like you know, he, like it was not like a keen did it on purpose or whatever. It was you know, or you know, it was like friendly fire, right? Yeah, exactly. So she she just av- the ring and she was just in the way. Yeah, yeah. This was somebody deliberately going out of the way to harmless, and then he just slaps her, and the reaction, not just from the crowd, but Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, he's he's awesome. He's incredulous. He's so yeah. angry. He just starts yelling that Jake Roberts should be barred for life. It's over. And then on top of all this, making the angle is, you mentioned reptiles were barred from ringside. So Jake never had taken a reptile out this entire time. He just had this bag with him. And then Jack Tunney comes out to yell at him about what did I, you know, like, presumably, what did I tell you about bringing reptiles? And he's like, there is no snake in this bag. (laughs) And he's just, like, crossing his heart. And you're just like, oh, my God. Because then that gets then. him out. He can't be, you know, suspended for life then because he didn't bring a Reptile to ringside. He, he did what he came to do, but he can't be, you know, there's no penalty for it really in that regard because he didn't bring the Reptile to ringside. And then these post-match promos, we just gushed over this when we covered Tuesday in Texas for Top Rope Nation Classic, Ryan Droste and myself. The Jake Roberts promo where he talks about Please bring her again. Just let me touch her. I can cultivate. Is one of the most sadistic and just glorious promos I have
0: ever seen a heel cut in the history of this promotion. It's incredible. It's incredible. Gene Oakland, get the hell out of here! <laughs> He's just disgusted. But again,
2: people can talk about calling moves and all that stuff. Announcers did not have the credibility of a monsoon. Or an oak, now today announcers don't have the credit but that an oakland and a monsoon had. So when they said the stuff they were saying, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Like this is big time. Like Gene Oakland just like, get the, get the hell out of here, Roberts. Um, and then Savage's promo afterwards where he's blaming himself and he's hitting himself and the camera is struggling to film him because he's like on the ground, writhing, so upset. Yeah. It's so much better than, like, frickin' dumb camera cuts, right? <laughs> Instead, it's one camera focus, and it, you're getting these unusual angles, right, yeah. behind the scenes where it's just one camera focused on Randy Savage on the floor. It gives it an element of realism. You know my opinion on this, but this is exhibit A of what I want out of wrestling. This is peak stuff. I said, look, it almost exposes the star rating system a little bit. Right, because yep. no one would ever say they would give this five stars, this match. But, again, if you consider the whole 35 minutes of television with the promos and the post-match angle, like, there's very few things WF history I would rather watch than this.
0: Yeah, it's this is it's perfect as as you could want pro wrestling to be during this period of time. And, again, it's not something that – I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people who – again, when, when you look at rating systems and trying to determine what's good and bad, stuff like this is what slips through the cracks. Yeah, it's
2: just – I just – God, it is one of my favorite things of all time. I would watch it again after I would, I would I would pay to see that. I would pay yeah. to do that again. Well, unfortunately <laughs> – and this is – this upset me a little bit. There weren't a lot of people paying to see this. Well, yeah.
0: The difference. I will say just just before we get to that, the camera cuts thing that you just mentioned, which is an awesome point. The re- one of the reasons why I love this so much is because there is such a great chaos around what's going on. It's the difference again. Talking about you know, the comparison and contrasting towards today's wrestling or the wrestling of, of a different time. This is something where Savage and Jake are doing their thing, and the, it's like it's happening, and the cameras are having to they're having to try to record what's going on. This is these are the events. They're organic. They're happening in their own way. It's carnage, but we're going to try and capture it. Whereas today, it's that thing of it's everything. Even at, you know, the most sinister angle that they would do, they have to. It has to be done within a certain framework so that it feels like a television show, which is yeah. the, the, the difference of you know, working to the cameras. Which I know they they teach them to do. Towards fuck it, you do your thing, and it's our job. We'll go out of our way to try and capture capture the emotion that you're throwing out there. Yes, 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 yes.
2: I have wanted an opportunity to make this point randomly about shitty modern WWE TV. And I'm, by God, I'm going to make it right now because it just fits. The floor is yours. Okay. So I'm thinking about brawls. You know, there's a lot of like multi-person matches nowadays in WWE, you know, uh, like money in the bank and stuff, whatnot. And. You and I, I, know, agree. We hate how they're done, how only two people are allowed to do anything at one time. Yeah. Because the camera has to just be doing all these different shots on just those two people and everyone else lays around. That is not how professional wrestling should be done. And I don't give a fuck how much money Kevin Dunn has in the bank. He's wrong. <laughs> okay? He's just wrong. If you want to see what pro wrestling should be, what brawling should be, what chaos should be, what you were just kind of talking about, about how it's our job to follow the chaos, not for the chaos to play to our production. Watch something like Slamboree 94, Foley and Sullivan against the Nasties. Where When you watch that match, what I love about it so much is you do miss some of the action, because the cameras, you're watching it, and for 10 minutes you just... You feel that these camera these poor cameramen are just running around, you know, risking their <laughs> lives to film everything that's going on in the arena. That's the way brawling
0: should be done.
2: Yeah. And if you disagree with me, I no offense, you're just wrong.
0: It's not even an opinion, it's just like, it's it's uh, the whole point of th- things feeling out of control is that they're out of control. And you can't control <laughs> And that's yes. what that's what it is. It's controlling something that, by its very nature, is is supposed to be out of control. All of the the, 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 the great brawls from that period of time, it is it is not perfectly framed. It's not perfectly shot. Yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm thinking of things like even in the over-the-edge 98 match where, where Austin clothesline dude live over the barricade and he lands on his fucking head. And the that crowd... is, by
2: the way, one of the greatest single spots in pro wrestling history.
0: Oh, I love that spot so much because and, and it's Jim Ross is fucking losing his mind on comedy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh!
2: oh! <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm gonna ask you. Serious. Does Jim Ross maybe I don't know just uh, you know experience a little bit of ecstasy in his pants during that spot? <laughs> because yeah, it's like He just I I have never heard an announcer just exclaim, and it, and it makes it totally. I mean, he's just like his reaction to that is just incredible but yeah
0: it is but again the, the point is the camera didn't capture it perfectly the first time they showed it on a replay and it was awesome but again that's what you got the fucking replays for so, yo, know, if something happens it's like oh my god that was awesome you know, yeah. show us a different way to, you know, this insistence on having to capture it perfectly uh, you know, as it's playing out it, it's, it's a lot of overthinking about blocking and a lot of overthinking about television production and and you know unfortunately that's kind of the way that it goes but it's uh not- And, you know, what's funny going back to the TV angle that with the cobra biting,
2: you know, the production was wanted, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. It feels like they did shoot it right. But it's just funny how it, again, production should enhance an angle, not whatever the opposite of it is. (laughs) And and I feel now that's where, like, I feel back in this period they – did use the techno- available technology to enhance the angles. It wasn't overdone. It was correctly done. Now it's overdone.
0: Yeah, in some way, in some ways, I think that the best production is either you don't even notice that it's a production, or it's so good that it slaps you in the face and you can't deny it, that is very well done. You by know, way, it, sh- it should never be the other way.
2: Yeah. By the way, that Austin clothesline of dude love. Everyone in that building – I mean particularly the people that were in the section, obviously, they probably could see it. But like everyone in the building, just to show how you don't need multiple camera shots of something, like go crazy after. Oh, like, people, people could tell that he did that. And what was Mick Foley thinking doing that, by the way? Hey, <laughs> he's, doing...
1: just,
2: he's just like, you know what I'm going to do? You know, I'm just going to fucking just throw my head right on the concrete. I'm, I'm just going gonna... to eat it. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack, oh, Brisco- Jack Briscoe lifted up the frickin' bell. <laughs> <afterwards>. <laughs> I'm okay. Jerry Briscoe. I'm sorry, if Jack Briscoe did it, it'd be impressive, but yes.
0: <laughs> Jerry Briscoe. Oh, man. Now, just to backtrack to what we were talking about with, with this being so good, you can't deny it, and people paint to see it. Well, unfortunately, when it comes to Savage and Jake Roberts, with the exception, says Dave, of this past Friday night's card at the Nassau Coliseum, which may be the WBS best arena in the country right now, The Randy Savage vs. Jake Roberts matches coming off the cobra bite and wife slapping angle are drawing poorly. The shows in Boston, Sacramento, and Los Angeles all drew the smallest WWF crowds in those cities for many years. And there
2: was a record low in Orlando, I believe, like 2,000 people. This is quite sad. Does this surprise you?
0: I mean, it's, it's surprising that artistically, you know, this has been so good and, and it's it's happened within such a short period of time that you would expect it to be hot. But, you know, the houses say it's not that hot to the people or they're just they're not as reactionary as they thought. And and it's not the thing is, though, saying that it's not just that it's Savage's return after all that TV time dedicating to, mm-hmm. you know, the end of Savage's career, the wedding, you, you, you know, the reinstatement. You think that there would be like this if you thought there was this desire for Savage to be back you know, in the arenas and the people going to like flock to the tickets, that did not happen at all. I mean, you can't, from that perspective, you can't call it anything, but a massive disappointment and actually may really be the biggest wake up call to just how cold the promotion is. Yes.
2: I was going to say, I wonder if this is, is larger factors of play that the promotion mm. is just down across the board as much as we don't want to admit it. I mean, was this angle maybe too hot for, like, the WWF audience? It could be. It could I, be. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I didn't put my money where my mouth was. I looked. They ran Richfield, uh, you know, down old I-77 here in, in Ohio. I didn't go. Interesting. Um, now, I mean, I was 11 years old. and It's not like I could just drive myself. I would have. I remember watching. This Tuesday in Texas, it was the first time I ever wished I'd ordered the pay-per-view, oh. or like, 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 or I felt like I really missed. It. I obviously I always wanted to order. My parents, I think I mentioned, show so they freaking hate wrestling, and so it, <laughs> it took it took many, many, many years for me to convince them to um, you know pay for it. To pony yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I I mean I remember being really into it as a kid, but yeah, I didn't go to the to the house show. I, I just. Not really sure what you can attribute that to. I think it's probably multiple factors. They start talking about uh, putting Elizabeth on the road with Savage to try to boost yeah. attendance. And, I mean, I know that happens for a little bit. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, it's easy to look at in isolation, as we are in the podcast. They talking about like this, this this segmented period of time. But again, this is coming off a very dull 1990, a disastrous WrestleMania period with the Slaughter Angle. They've lost the Warrior. The the, the there's a lot of, there is a lot, I mean, Melton mentioned it before. There's a lot of hot, you know, everything feels like a hot shot angle. And maybe there's a sense of diminishing returns, like, like, like live in the moment. Maybe, I mean, this is, again, this is not for me to say in the sense that I was not watching at the time. And I, and I can't imagine when I watched this that I would be like, oh, my God, I've got to see this. But, I mean, the numbers are what they are, which is, like you say, very sad, very telling. Yeah.
2: And another thing we need to remember. Those of us who are firmly in the wrestling bubble in 2022, when people leave or stop watching something, you can't expect them just to come right back with one hot angle. No. Because they didn't watch it, they stopped watching it. It's not a priority for them. So it may be a case of, well, you've just got fewer people watching your TV and that's what you get. Like, you know, I know in school, I think I was like in sixth grade this year. People were still talking wrestling. I don't know if they talked about this, though. I remember, uh, you know, we can mention this when we get to 92. I remember the barbershop angle got mentioned in Homeroom. I remember Warrior returning at WrestleMania 8 was a a little bit of chatter, but um, this wasn't. I don't remember talking to anyone about this at Mm. school, necessarily, as much as I liked it. But I don't know. I mean, that was a long time ago, and, you know, I certainly done a lot of damage to my brain, so <laughs> take that with a grain of salt.
0: But, <laughs> or um, whatever else.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or again, or whatever else. Uh, Savage reportedly down to 185 to 204 pounds in that range and working in a shirt, as Meltzer claims, for, quote, obvious reasons.
0: Hmm. <laughs> what they were?
2: Yes, obviously. Uh, let's go back to New Haven at the start of the show for that. Yep. Other news, as I was combing through the Observer for every last detail— I came across this and remembered it. So not sure uh, what your fondest memories are, Liam, of the 1991 Major League Baseball World Series. Not great. Okay. (laughs) Does anyone over there give a damn about Major League Baseball or the sport of baseball in general?
0: uh it got i i don't it doesn't have a massive following and i mean it was i remember like on channel five over here in 1997 1998, live and dangerous was 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 my first exposure to it there was a show that would show it at like one in the morning and like i would always try and watch and would just fall asleep before the game you know, on like the third innings or something like that and it, it was it was tough going but yes i, I don't think that has a massive following people are aware of it but it's just it doesn't connect really that well over here sure okay well
2: the 1991 World Series was a great one between the Twins and the Braves. Won seven games. Probably the best World Series of my lifetime, I think. Um, certainly of my youth. I remember watching those games pretty closely. And I think it was game two, there was a play. Folks, just bear with me. This We're going somewhere with this, okay? Uh, in game two, there was a play at first base where Atlanta's Ron Gant tried getting back to the bag and the Twins' first baseman, Kent Herbeck, who was a wrestling fan, sort of did this wrestling move where he bodied Gant off the base and tagged him, and the ump called about. out. It was an egregious call by the umpire. Like It was like, you shouldn't be able, like, if he obviously ever here knows baseball, you you should not be able to forcibly remove a man's leg from the base, tag him, and then he should be out. <laughs> that should be a, you know, that's called interference. Well, he was called out. It was a very controversial play. So in the pregame for Game 3, legendary uh, studio man Pat O'Brien says, we have brought in an expert to analyze his play, and it was Randy Savage.
0: <laughs> no stranger Ran- to baseball himself.
2: No, no stranger to baseball himself. So, yes, he's got the baseball and, of course, the wrestling connection. I put the clip in. I don't know if you want to play this. The volume is, like, really low. I could not find a better version of it than this.
0: Savage. Yeah, we'll play it right now. Here it is. Okay.
2: Herbex expressed some interest though in becoming a wrestler, and he showed off his moves to Ron Gant. And as we always do, we went uh, right to an expert for some analysis of that play. Here's what our expert had to say.
0: Least from what I saw, Kent Hood mastered the technique. Step over to him.
1: Yeah,
0: Irvek, I'm impressed.
1: Through the macho man's eyes, the tag was clean. And it was
0: out. What's about there? Yeah. And then coming back, words can't do justice to the look on O'Brien's face when this video is over.
2: I think a producer may have forced him to do this.
0: <laughs> I would guess so. But yeah. Savage is like the, the, the video for this. Obviously, this is this is an audio medium. You can't see, but Savage's eyes are just wide at the end, and it just kind of lingers on him for like an extra few seconds. It's very uncomfortable viewing.
2: You know, I mean. that's cool stuff. And, you know, to their credit, they just had Sasha Banks involved in the, uh, the college football national championship game. But, you know, I'm biased and I thought this was cooler.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, undoubtedly, it's Randy Savage. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up our talk about Jake and Randy Savage. A feud so good it got its own section. Absolutely. And it deserved it. Now, segueing to... Other aspects going on in this promotion, because as we said, we've got so much to talk about. We've got a coming and going section here, as we usually do at some point uh, during the year. On Monday, the 21st of October, the WWF and Ricky Steamboat terminated their relationship, says they've in a quit slash fired scenario. Steamboat wrestling as the dragon actually gave notice to the WWF that he would be finishing up on December 16th because he wasn't happy uh, that his uh, promised big push hadn't materialized and he didn't appear uh, to be doing so anytime in the near future. He was also unhappy about money. At Monday's television taping, the agents asked him to do a television squash job for both IRS and The Undertaker. Reports are that Steamboat was willing to do jobs to anyone at the arenas until leaving, but he wasn't going to work as a television jobber after the reputation he's built up. When he refused, Vince McMahon fired him on the spot, to the extent he wouldn't even issue him a plane ticket home.
2: Oh boy, this gets nasty. Uh, We've said it before. What a waste this run is. Ricky Steamboat, you know him as the Dragon, was feuding with Skinner coming off SummerSight.
0: skinner fucking hell
2: i mean those skinner inset promos were pretty brutal oh they're heinous now there was some talk i don't think this was ever filmed but the plan was from the titan side of things that there was gonna be a feud with steamboat and debiase have you heard about this yep okay what do you think about that angle? For those who have ever heard, they were to do an angle where Steamboat, who was doing the fire-breathing gimmick, obviously was going to set DiBiase's money on fire.
0: Yeah, it's it's an okay idea, very much of its time, and and something that I could see them doing for like years previously. And maybe yeah, maybe it would have been memorable, but uh yeah, I don't know. I felt like it, I don't know if I don't, it doesn't feel like they were heading towards that direction with DiBiase.
2: Yeah. No, although DiBiase, we'll talk about him a little bit later on. There's some sort of odd things going on. So maybe they were. Uh, and it's also so hard to discern because he winds up going into the tag team in early 92. Mm. But, I don't know, Steamboat and DiBiase, that's something, right? I mean, DiBiase could still go in, in late 91. I mean, Meltzer, I think, at one point called him maybe the best in-ring guy in the promotion at this time. Wow. Uh, so, it's something, yeah, I mean, Steve. when did he come into the promotion? It was like... Right around WrestleMania time. Yeah. And they, did, they did nothing with him. No feuds. He's like Haku. He's working with the house shows. God bless. You know. God, but that's just nothing. Uh, for the record, you mentioned this a little bit on our last show. Tornado winds up taking Steamboat's place in the television job to The Undertaker. Yeah, which is just a demolition. Yeah. Um, we could. Well, I know Meltzer had a quote on that that we'll get to just momentarily. And then the hammer. Greg Valentine. <laughs> uh, they still were calling him Greg Valentine. I, I made a note of that. I, I wanted to listen. It wasn't like, you know, they, they may, some places will make you think that they stopped saying Ricky Steamboat, Davey Boy Smith, Greg Valentine entirely. Yeah. Well, there was an emphasis on the dragon, the bulldog, the hammer. You know, Gorilla Monsoon was going to do what he wanted to do, okay? <laughs> and he was going to call him Valentine, Davey Boy Smith, and Ricky Steamboat if he wanted to. But the hammer uh, replaced Steamboat in the television match against IRS and avoided doing the job. Yeah. IRS defeated Greg Valentine by disqualification at 344 when Bossman broke up IRS's pinfall attempt after he hit Valentine's briefcase behind the Russ back. So yes, the hammer agrees that he avoids doing the job.
0: My God. So yeah, I mean I, I guess I could see, you know, DB and Steamboat on paper sounds pretty good, but it's just the fact that they're so half high with Steamboat the whole time, I just you don't know how much they were going to commit to that. Yeah, what why did they even sign him? <sighs> well, this is the thing. And, yeah, we may as well touch on it now. The mid-card in the WWF for the second half of 1991, not so bad on the babyface side, but on the heel side, the lower half of this card, Kyle. Yeah, we'll get to it a
2: lot. It was oh, a my God. It was, it was a real problem for their new Intercontinental Champion, too. Yeah. Yes, it was.
0: So, yeah. So, we mentioned there, obviously, the uh, the, the Undertaker doing the uh, – well. I don't want to say burying Kerry Von Erich, but that's pretty much what happened. Did you catch just how much of a squash Kerry Von Erich did for Undertaker on Challenge? And Milton says, at least they know how to get a heel title challenger over Strong Boy, did they ever. Yeah, this
2: was right before Survivor Series. And Dave was really aghast. Uh, He mentioned this multiple weeks in The Observer. He he was very upset that they were calling Taker undefeated, despite his house show losses. Also the same for The Berserker, too. (laughs) He was still undefeated. Uh, Yeah, Dave just, he really wanted those house show results acknowledged. And uh they weren't doing is <laughs>
0: Isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's just the passage of time. But it's so funny to me, Al, when you read, like, the early 90s observers, how, like, so many of, like, the little things back then caused such outrage. And yeah, then and there'll no- be, like, a show at the shitty Royal Rumble show from this last week, which should have been absolutely eviscerated. And it gets acknowledged as bad, but it doesn't get the, the, the due outrage that things like this get. Yeah, because there's so many little things like this that yeah. you know,
2: Wrestling Observer Radio would probably go six hours if you got that mad. You know, <laughs> like, but you're right. Like Alvarez will still bring stuff up like this, and he's yeah. like, eh, you know, it is what it is."
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: I mean, it was actually, you know, it's, you know, if you're not going to the arenas or whatever, um, you know, and you're just a kid, and they're hyping someone is undefeated. I guess it's the right way to go. They they did it with Skinner too. I remember at this Tuesday in Texas, like when he taps out to Bret Hart, Bobby Heenan. He Skidder's undefeated! And I think Meltzer got pissed about that too.
0: <laughs> On general principle, I'm pissed about that. Yes. Imagine Especially Sk- if you're with Steamboat. Yeah, imagine Skidder being undefeated. Yeah. Outrageous. Now, back to Ricky Steamboat. Apparently, a week before uh, the uh, Clash 17 show, WCW contacted the WWF and told them that they intended to use Ricky Steamboat at the Clash of the Champions. I love this story. They requested if WWF believed they had any legal claim to Steamboat to please contact them by the Friday. Steamboat's attorneys had claimed that Titan had violated the contract in two places and that it should be voided. Anyway, less than one hour before showtime, Titan sent a fax to the WCW offices in Atlanta, where everyone of importance was already in Savannah for the Clash, claiming that they had the legal rights to Steamboat. The word did reach the building before the show, and Kip Fry met with Jim Hurd and Jim Crockett, and the decision was made to use Steamboat anyway. Thankfully, just being fuckers for the sake of it here.
2: Yeah, so there's no legal ground for Titan here. And Steamboat debuts at that Clash, Clash 17. And this is what we talked about earlier. This is what WCW kind of begins. It's turnaround. Yeah. Uh, you know, Steamboat is the mystery partner of Dustin Rhodes, replacing the injured Barry Windham. And they go on to have one of the best matches of the decade in the promotion against the Enforcers, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco. I'm sure people have seen it just at all-timer. Absolutely love it. One of my favorite Clash matches. I think probably the best Clash match besides Flair Steamboat and Flair Funk. I'd say so. Okay, yeah, so a great one there, and yeah, so you know we talk about how you know maybe business is not what it once was. But their television's improving. WCW television is about to improve, and it's in big thanks to Ricky Steamboat.
0: Yeah, he's he's a big component of this, but and and, and especially like when you see what Steamboat does in his first his first fucking show, it's like why was he not being used more in the WWF? It's absurd.
2: Yes, you're right. Like in one night. He did more than he had done the previous six months. Yeah. WBF. Yeah, That's it's graceful. just it as it a great three-year run almost, right? Goes all the way yep. through 94 yep, when he did. gets hurt. So, yeah, yeah he few. he was a big player. So this is one of those things that, like, I'd complain about it more, but I'm just kind of glad the way it played out.
0: Yeah. Everything lands in its proper place. hmm
2: So, good. <laughs> and, and that is so ridiculous that they, like, send the facts like an hour before the
0: show. <laughs> yeah when people think that like petty things don't happen now with AEW it's like they did this shit all the time <laughs> they yeah. like,
2: always do this that's unbelievable
0: now big bully Busek talking about things that uh, end up in their proper place quits the promotion uh, <laughs> after getting destroyed on television by Sid and going toe to toe in two matches with the fucking Brooklyn Brawler what the hell <laughs> like they, they kind of have big plans for the bully here this gimmick just did not work okay
2: the first match with the Brooklyn Brawler. Did you know that was coming? I did
0: not know it was coming. I, I flashbacks to zukov Volkov.
2: I-, I did not know it was coming. So yes, yeah, so there's a match between Busick and the Brawler, or Bushik, as Al Hayes, your boy, calls it. You you know it's bad when they're butchering his name. but Al Hayes isn't even trying, that's that's a bad sign right off the rip.
0: Yeah, somehow, somehow somehow Tatanka survived it for years. <laughs>
2: Look at Al Kato. So there you go. <laughs> uh, go over with Al Hayes. The pronunciation of your name will turn out okay. poorly. But anyway, so yeah, it's the bully against the brawler in this match. And they're brawling outside. And they do this really lame finish. And they've done it for other matches before. I think they do it for Terry Funk and Moondog Spot at the Wrestling Classic. <laughs> to be honest with you, that, what what an incredible recall that that is. <laughs> I was
0: say, that might be the single most fantastic, most spectacular callback I've ever heard. On uh, I'm podcast. actually
2: I'm actually positive they do it. So what they
0: do is Brawler goes to punch
2: Busick, but Busick ducks and backdrops Brawler back into the ring, and Brawler wins by countout. <laughs>
0: he couldn't even beat the Brawler. I mean, that is bad. Yeah, you you are not putting a down payment on a house when that's the finish. You're only and, a month in. And I don't think he beat him
2: clean in the rematch, did he? No, uh, no, he didn't. Well, what did he do? I'm, oh, God, why do I not write some of these things down? Now I'm thinking about it. The, the, the fucking bully? And as I use those exact words, I should probably retell <laughs> the story I told on Top Rope Nation once. I was once sent home as a child by my friend's mother for cursing big bully music we're i god i can't remember what damn, damn. i said like this guy's shitty or something of that effect <laughs> <laughs> and my my friend's mom heard me and told me to go home
0: <laughs> you're no longer welcome
2: yes so i was i got a lot of you know, my parents yelled at me about using that kind of language they're like why would you use that kind of language i'm like mom dad have you seen big Bully Music? <laughs> i thought i had but yeah i can't god what did he do in the second match He he didn't even like beat him clean but yeah just going 50 50 with uh with the brawler was not good for his thing and then you you knew it was over when uh he got squashed by Sid like Sid crushed him it made Sid look cool so the angle was they were bullying Mike McGurk the female Mm -hmm. ring announcer Harvey Whippleman was blowing smoke in her face and he was demanding competition and Sid comes out and just yeah annihilates him
0: Yeah, and it's over. And as you mentioned here, he jobs to Duggan, he jobs to Brett.
2: On TV, I mean, they start just, (laughs) once this notice gives, gets given, I mean, they just put him, they're just jobbing him to everybody on TV. And uh, the quitting happens right before Survivor Series. Although he was still being advertised on Colonel Mustafa's team the weekend before. He is eventually replaced
0: by Hercules. The Mighty Hercules, you gotta feel pretty bad if you're the mighty Hercules to be the second stringer to the bully, yes, on that team, too. I mean, you should have know. recruited the brawler,
2: <laughs> yes. But uh, manager Harvey Whippleman, we just talked about him there, he winds up getting the warlord now because they keep Whippleman stays with the promotion after bully leaves. Whippleman gets war, there were talks that the warlord uh, they were going to reform the powers of pain. You had that in the notes. Yeah, just, they,
0: they they had done nothing with either of them pretty much when they, when they broke them up, and now they were just going to put them back together.
2: Yeah, but that doesn't happen. Whippleman manages the Warlord as a single because Warlord's old manager, Slick, gets written off because he wants to be, go become a legit minister.
1: <laughs> Do he you knew have what was your
2: Cards, everyone. What? Yeah, really? Uh, he starts praying to God. Yeah. <laughs> That Sean O'Shea doesn't call him up, huh?
0: <laughs> I completely forgot about the Whippleman Warlord Union. Yeah, and
2: obviously Whippleman winds up getting Sid, who is. Yeah, they were friends, but yeah, this. So hopefully, you had your scorecards out and kept track of all that, folks. Yeah, the, <laughs> the bully. Real, the bully we hardly knew ye. Yeah, this was the real low part of the card. I know we're if we yeah, we're still doing coming and going. We say lower on the card, but it didn't get any lower than the bully.
0: No, uh, well, but not too far from the bottom is the Repo Man, because the vignettes for this clown start airing, and they suck. And it was, I joked about this recently at Top Rope
2: Nation. I, oh, because we were talking about the 92 Rumble. Yep. It is so obvious that the Repo Man was Barry Darso. Yeah. I could even tell this as a kid. This was, like, one of the first moments I remember where I thought I was, like, so smart. I was like, my <laughs> God, that's Demolition Smash. And it's kind of ironic. Based on how Darso landed the Devilish and Smash role, that they thought Randy Colley, that everyone recognized him from the Moondogs, so they had to find somebody else. <laughs> but here they go. State of the times, I guess. Like everybody could figure out that this was Devilish and Smash, and they're like, well, fuck it, he's the repo man now. And this was bad.
0: He's got the same oh. tattoo on his arm, for Christ's sake. Yeah, these I, I just again, God, how long have we been Lazy talking about? Lazy stuff. Well, and that just how long have we been talking
2: about these bad underneath characters yeah. they used to come up with good characters once in
0: a while like good gimmicks the fucking repo man <laughs> this is Pedrin. i think mean, you watch the vignettes. are we supposed to hate this guy or give a shit at all like i mean nothing, I there's nothing he's just you know he, the whole thing is you know
2: he's a repo man but he's unlawfully repossessing everyone's things he's like you know yeah he's just a thief i mean okay Do we assume that Vince McMahon had his car towed and he was really pissed at some point in the summer of 91? (laughs) Do we think that's what this was?
0: Uh, Well, I'm not sure if if, if he didn't. I'm surprised that uh, Reefman didn't get a call around 95. Now that I think about the the state of the offices in Titan Towers and they had to take the war callers out with a repo coming to town. But uh, no, I think (laughs) think there's a very good chance of this. We did get that tidbit, didn't we, about how like Ned Brady or somebody like that had like, gone to Titan Towers with the idea of the Repo Man, and they just said, no thanks, and then they trademarked the idea and stole oh, that's it. that's right.
2: Yeah, J.J. Dillon was yeah. involved in that. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that last time, yeah. What well, of
0: all the gimmicks to steal, this one. I know, a real winner here. Now, Owen Hart also signs and debuts under his own name, it's part of a tag team called The New Foundation with Jim the Anvil Neidhart and will appear at the next TV tapings uh, as well and start the house shows early in 1992 when the team will probably work a program with the Beverly Brothers, which is certainly indicated on television.
2: Yeah. So in case if anyone cares, Jim Neidhart's commentary gig on Wrestling Challenge ended due to what they called differences with Bobby Heenan. This was in storyline, obviously. I, I don't hmm. think there was any uh, legit heat between the two of them. Although I think as we mentioned previously, Neidhart being a part of the Heenan-Monsoon team on wrestling should just ruin their flow. Like you just wanted him to leave. You're like, no, I want yeah. Monsoon and Heenan. I don't want you. So they do that. They're, they're like, they just lazily say, yes, he's back as a wrestler now. <laughs> and <laughs> this was unbelievable. His first match back, he's still using Bret Hart music, the old Hart Foundation music. And in this first match back as a single, Vince McMahon re- reacts to the power slam finish in this way. Quote, he's not going to get him there. Oh, he did. <laughs> Just burying the finish like Neider does a power slam. and Vince is like, Oh, this won't be it. Oh oh it is. That was maybe, over.
0: Maybe this leads to the uh the five years of overcompensation of Oh my god, he's gotta get No he doesn't.
2: Yeah, that's no right. This, this was the opposite of that. It's over. Yeah, unbelievable. So the New Foundation don't really do a program with the Beverly's, even though the Beverly's, they do. We mentioned this a little bit in the last show with Ric Flair, yeah, Jim yeah. Neidhart, Angle. So Flair takes out Neidhart. Neidhart's being helped to the back, and the Beverly's attack him in the aisle. But the Beverly's wind up getting programmed with the Bushwhackers. Yeah, which is so, like, recommended for anybody. no. no. No, no, it isn't. So, yeah, I don't think... Maybe it was a house show. I'm assuming it was a house show thing because they don't wrestle at the pay-per-view. Let, nah. let, me, take a look. let me take a look. I've got 91 still open, history WWE. I can do a quick find function here. and see new foundation.
0: As you're looking uh, for that, I, I'll just point out that actually I, I quite liked the idea of the new foundation in concept of Owen and Nightheart. It's like a way to kind of bring Owen in. You have a new kind of babyface and the tag team. Don't like the name. Um, but I did like the tune that they used, that would end up being used by the Heavenly Bodies. So, yeah, well, and
2: the thing was, the reason they weren't going to get over is because it was a copycat of something else. Yeah, and the the hideous attire that they had. Didn't I mean, phases. it wasn't as yeah, it wasn't as bad as uh, high energy, but um, it was pretty bad. So yeah. the New Foundation did not last long. My God.
0: Because Neidhart was gone, like, before too long. He's, like, gone in, like, February or something like that.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking to see if there's any new foundation versus Beverly's. I don't – oof. Owen Hart. Yeah, he's working – oh, here we go. Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart defeated Beverly. So they were working in the houses. I, I got at least one house in the Carlson Center in Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> Good God. Hope you wore your parka for that one.
0: Yeah. It's where they send, uh, they send the guys who are on the, uh, the shit list to get a tiny payoff in a little tiny town. But uh, – Yeah. Yeah. Also coming in, the Mexican magazine's reporting that Conan will debut at the upcoming television tapings in Dayton and Fort Wayne in October. Does not happen.
2: No, that doesn't. But over the next year, there will be plenty of Conan and uh, Titan talk.
0: Yeah, this seems to rumble on for ages. Mm -hmm.
2: And he did work a few dark matches earlier in the year. I think we mentioned that previously.
0: Yes. And also, Chris Chavez, the future Tatanka, according to uh, (laughs) Lord Alfred Hayes, he's working a lot of dark matches too. Yeah, and the initial vignette
2: airs on the final week of the year. He's still being called Chris Chavez, by the way. He is. It just yeah, kind of and,
0: threw me a little bit. I didn't remember that. Yeah,
2: I didn't. I, I just, very unlike uh, Titan to, you know, have the real name and then just drop that. Although, you know, Tugboat Thomas, you know, it was just Tugboat.
0: Yeah, Tugboat Thomas name stinks matt riddle became riddle for sure (laughs) now just to channel rick martell as a kid carl do you have any reservations about the gimmick oh that was unbelievable
2: (laughs) these days um again it just seemed like not the direction they needed to go it was they were looking back they were just getting too cartoony when we get into 92, there's a real long rant we'll get into about that. We'll save it for that, because Tatanka yes. obviously
0: is sticking around for a while. Agreed. Now, also, is on, on the uh, the talent hunt that they're on at the moment, Steve Blackman, who used to work for Stampede, got a tryout at the last Titan tapings. <laughs> the fucking lethal weapon in 91, getting a, getting a crack at the uh, crack at the bat. Del Wilkes, who's the Patriot and Global, will wind up here when they come up with a gimmick for him. Uh, well, no, he didn't. <laughs> and it's interesting that you would do any other gimmick but the Patriot. I guess they
2: had to wait for Global to go out of business. I guess that's, you know, did he, he must have trademarked that himself
0: or something? He has to, because he went to WCW with it, went to Old Japan with it. I like how yeah. they needed a gimmick for the Patriot, and waited six years and they came up with a Patriot. Well, and on that note, <laughs> Kurgan
2: as the Cajun Giant also got a tryout, as WWF was really thinking about what their mid card should look like six years later with <laughs> Kurgan, Blackman, and Patriot.
0: Why did, I don't know why Blackman's on the on the radar here.
2: No. I that that shocks me. I mean, he would not have been I mean, unless they had some like awful gimmick for him. But yeah, they, none of these three make TV, obviously. No. At least in ninety one they do in ninety seven.
0: Also not making TV, the Undertaker's tag team from IWCW, which worked as double trouble on the first night of a uh, house shows, as well as on the second night, they got a trout with the gimmick of the fat boys. Well, <laughs> <laughs> We need to go into why this happened. Yeah, this is a big story. This is the, the trademarking issue with the name The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah frankly, so. the the just kind of fleeced the marks here, if I can use that term. Oh, they did. Oh, we'll give you a couple
2: tryouts if you sign it over. And they did. And they're like, all right, yeah, you suck. We're not signing you. And now we got the trademark. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we, we should laugh. I, you know, But, yeah, they fleeced the
0: marks. That's a great term for it. <laughs> <laughs> the second Hey we're going to bring you in as the Fat Boys Kick your ass, take your trademark, thank you for coming Yeah so um,
2: Yeah that, that, that was it So yeah they, they, but they had the They had the name before they came up with um Before Titan Came up yeah. with the Undertaker so they needed to Go about and, and get this Did they win or lose here? Hold on The Fat Boys
0: Let's they take a look won.
2: Um Double Trouble
0: Let's see Do they give the Cursey?
2: Okay, in Wheeling, Double Trouble defeated two unknowns. Oh, let them feel like they're on the way in. Okay. And and they beat two unknowns in Huntington, too. Good Lord. So so they let them win. Even sneakier. I'll tell you what, this is the Vince McMahon I remember.
0: (laughs) Not not this weird sun-firing maniac that we have today.
2: (laughs) No, not the guy who, like, you know, talks about dismembering people and stares at Austin Theory's ass as he walks away.
0: (laughs) <laughs> what happened what happened Vince
2: hey, old age does it to everybody although I hope when I'm 70 plus I'm not staring at you know
0: <laughs> 27
2: year old asses that, that's the uh...
0: Oh, you, know, you know what? We're talking about what happened to Vince. Let's look at some of the, the roll call of talent that he's given <laughs> a chance in December here. All receiving tryouts, Brian <laughs> <Yeah>. Lee. <laughs> because Brian- the, rogue- <laughs> the, the Rogues gallery continues here. <laughs> it's hideous. Brian Lee, who was never good. Kevin Von Erich, Chris Adams, Sir Charles, <laughs> which is Charles Wright, soul taker doing a British gimmick that may turn into a voodoo man gimmick. Obviously, we know what that will be. And Ron and Don Harris, uh, supposedly they like the Harris brothers, although it seemed that Charles Wright and Kevin Von Erich have the best shot at employment, says Dave.
2: So of that rogues gallery, only Wright gets in as Papa Shango, obviously. We'll be chatting about him quite a bit 92. I absolutely fell on the floor, though. At this Dave Meltzer comment on why Kevin Von, on why he theorized Kevin Von Erich might be hired. Quote, in newspaper ads, they can just bill Von Erich versus Martel and send both Kevin and Kerry to the arenas, figuring one will no show every night. But as long as the other makes it, they won't have to change the cards.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Speaking of which, Rick Martel is back from Europe, apparently. Yeah, from, you know, he had actually been working in Japan, is the true story. But yes, you know, they, I loved when, whenever Martell would miss TV time, they would just invent some fashion show. All of that kind of worked for the gimmick.
0: Yeah, and he's fine. just been on tour, modeling. That's just his thing. Kevin Von Erich, apparently, almost close to employment, hoping that the Von Erichs will get a, uh, a chance to be a tag team to fight the Orient Express to avenge David. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Jesus!
2: <laughs> I mean, I guess Kerry said it, but there you go. Uh, by the way, speaking of tag team ideas, uh, this was a inc- goal. Oh, well, hold on a couple. First of all, you mentioned the Art Express, the trials and tribulations of Pat Tanaka during this time period. Okay. We talked about his partner, Kato, getting suspended for the fake urine. Uh, but th- <laughs> there was a angle in a dark match where Tanaka was beaten up by the Beverly's. mm. And Meltzer speculates that this could be a baby face turn for Pat Tanaka. But then later it's reported he's leaving the promotion in an quote, amicable split. But he winds up sticking around in early '92. And in that uh, match against the new foundation of the undercard of the Royal Rumble, it looks like Tanaka's straight up rolled
0: out of bed five
2: minutes yeah. before that match.
0: His hair, his hair did not get a lot of attention that morning. Yeah, um,
2: Greg Gagne was in the office a few weeks ago to get a tryout as a television announcer. Oh lord, dear God. He did not get the job, thankfully. Uh, but Meltzer says they should have made him a tag team with Steve Kern. They could have been called Skitter and Skittier. <laughs> That's just
0: more body shaming from Dave Meltzer. Well, we, what happened to this Meltzer? We don't think this guy just. Um, and look, I don't know. He ruffled some feathers with his elimination chamber because Auschwitz was booked. Comment a couple of weeks oh, ago.
2: That's true. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, that's why he doesn't do it because people get really mad about. People that get stuff. mad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it, Dave. Um Well, and maybe they'll get mad about this. I'm a dog lover. Uh, everybody, I, you know, I've two great ones uh, downstairs right now. Hopefully, one is not shit in the last couple hours. <laughs> I'm gonna pray for that. But uh, our most somber coming and going note yet, Liam, uh, of the entire podcast series. Winston Davies' bulldog died of a heart attack. Yeah, well. So so literally uh you know going to the great beyond there, you know that's what why Winston stopped showing up on TV. Didn't we speculate like how long he had Winston? I here you go. Yeah. Wow, dog.
0: This is this is the I don't you know. I dread to think of the real reason with this fucking band of vog, fucking vagabonds and deviants <laughs> on the roster why he suffered a heart attack, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know. Like dude those poor animals that had to go on tour. Oh, with these what fights. a horrible like, life. Yeah, Dave, I mean, God, if Damien and Matilda
0: and Frankie could talk, the stories they would have told. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about the people that are coming in. We've talked about some of the people that are left. Lower on the card throughout this period of time from September to December. Let's talk about some of the more, uh, well, some of the, the angles that took a bit more television time up. Specifically, the beginning of the Sergeant Slaughter babyface turn which begins uh, the first week pretty much after SummerSlam takes place on the Wrestling Challenge show when Colonel Mustafa said Slaughter should retire. They also showed some hideous interviews with soldiers running down Sergeant Slaughter for turning his back on his country, one of which is just out of this world, which we're going to play for you in a second here. Uh, Eventually, Sergeant Slaughter does a sit-down interview with Mean Gene, who, who, uh, as Slaughter is kind of acting with a little bit of contrition and talking about how he feels he's made some wrong decisions Gene kind of gives him the uh, the Dean Malenko Uncensored 98 treatment and just tells Sarge that he got what he deserved
2: (laughs) That was a great reference when I saw that, I was waiting for, it. he did. I mean, as he should have. The man was an Iraqi sympathizer, for God's sake.
0: And isn't this cla- this This screams of like a WWF apology. Slaughter agrees that he got what he deserved, but tries to blame siding with Iraq and swearing allegiance to Saddam Hussein on his ambition to be the WWF champion.
2: Yeah, that is just...
0: No tweet accountability. Through.
2: <laughs> <laughs> tweet through it, pal. Um, yeah. yeah. And he cries that he wants his country back. So, okay, let's get into this. This, not even weeks after SummerSlam. I wrote that it starts weeks after. It started like, yeah, just right after, basically. And Slaughter was not portrayed as sympathetic at all at the SummerSlam finish. It was obviously way too early to try this. But my question to you is, did a Slaughter babyface turn have any chance even if they'd waited my gut says no (laughs) okay would it have worked had the slaughter character been pulled when we said it should have been before the royal rumble or at the royal like remember you know going all the way back to part 1a or whatever we we talked about the heat that the angle was drawing it was the wrong Mm -hmm. kind of heat and that the play was, and it's easy for us to say thirty years of hindsight, but they should have been able to have the foresight to do this. They should have just pulled the plug on Slaughter and done something different for WrestleMania. Yeah, let's say they'd done that, okay, and Slaughter had been off TV for like seven, eight months.
0: Would it have worked then? A babyface turn? I think. I think even even that would have still been tough because they went so hard in the one direction for like three. Four, Fuck like months you know he, he was talking about you know his good friend Saddam Hussein at summerSlam nineteen ninety and and even before that you know who's been his uh it's, like, this was like it was like a six month thing of him you know doubting the Iraqis had he lost, I think there's a chance that you could have done it. it didn't help. That they doubled downed on it and went so hard to WrestleMania and even in the months afterwards with the fucking yeah. promos and, and to the point where it's like there is was absolute, this is the thing, there is absolutely zero sympathy with this character because even after he lost, he doubled down himself, and after months and months of failure with this pack of losers with him, he only turns babyface when all hope is lost. He loses with a three on two advantage and and now he wants to come back.
1: Yeah,
2: and that's I think the problem. It's not just that, you know. He lost at WrestleMania. They kept going with it, and it was it was just death on television. And nobody wanted to see him by the time SummerSlam was over, right? Like, like like the last thing you wanted to see was him even on TV anymore. Let alone begging for forgiveness. And like we're gonna play the One Soldier promo now. Let's we need to get this in. Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs>
2: Amazing. That's the kind of commitment you need. Yes, now, was that an actual soldier? I, I guess. I mean, hey, it's. Ill- <laughs> I don't know. Isn't it like illegal to impersonate a soldier? Well, slaughter has been doing that for thirty years. Hasn't he? Never mind. Good point. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thirty years and the rest. What we're talking about? Fifty, fifty. Yeah. On. Anyway, Sergeant Slaughter then does a. Ba- Speaking of impersonating soldiers, Sergeant Slaughter does a baby interview at Arlington Memorial Cemetery in Washington, D.C., with tombstones of soldiers that had died in battle. One of the names on the tombstones was Pedro Morales. <laughs> what did he do to somebody to get that? <laughs> Shameless character switch here. Yeah. And
2: again, this baby face turn feels not like something the fans were clamoring for but rather something that the promotion is doing for a guy they know was given a lousy gimmick. They're basically trying to undo yeah, of course. this, and that doesn't work. Uh, other U.S. landmarks that were involved in future slaughter promos, by the way, the Lincoln Memorial, the Paul Revere statue. Sorry, Liam, by the way. No, no hard feelings I <laughs> know Paul Revere may not be held in high regard to many of the listeners here. And then the Statue of Liberty. So this goes on for weeks and weeks. And, you know, it's one thing for us to sit again with 30 years of hindsight and say, well, of course, this didn't work. But it turns out in real time, the fans were not willing to be manipulated on this.
0: This caught me by
2: surprise.
0: Yes. The Fort Wayne taping that we've referenced a couple of times. This is the one where they do the Jake angle with it with the snake, the funeral parlor. October 21st, the anti-Pavlovian reaction that came, says Meltzer, when Oakland brought out Jim Duggan for an interview, Duggan brings out Sergeant Slaughter with him. The two did the Pledge of Allegiance together, and the crowd booed this like they used to stand up and boo when Nikolai Volkov would do the Soviet national anthem. The fans even booed Duggan heavily just for associating with Slaughter, so they've still got some work cut out for them in turning the Sarge. Uh, this did air on television. They manipulated it fairly well, Uh, but this actually airs on television after the conclusion of the vignettes we were talking about, which were just, they were shocking vignettes anyway, because the whole time you stand next to these like memorials and these landmarks telling us all how great America is. And it's like, if I was an American, I'd think, yeah, we know, motherfucker, you're the the one who's trying to kill us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You dictate to me about America. Fuck you, buddy. Yeah. And then of course, I love, I read
2: this note in your voice and it made me laugh very hard. So, I, I want you
0: to actually say it. The one
2: with this. The word. Yes. yes.
0: This after. So, this airs on television after an abominable, an abominable vignette of Slaughter doing the Pledge of Allegiance in a school classroom, complete with cheering children who run up to forgive the Sarge, who was wishing them all dead like months ago. In promos. I've,
2: I've got my country back! <laughs> <laughs> um so i want to talk about how this was manipulated because i didn't catch this well what is this the interview that aired like on the survivor series showdown because history of WWE didn't have anything on it like duggan and slaughter were booed heavily during this and it had to be manipulated so i, I wasn't sure like if people try to find this interview What precisely the interview was. The only interview I remember the two of them together was on that Survivor Series showdown show,
0: which may be the one. And I, and I, but the whole thing feels like it's it's quite choppy and quite hacked to where Mm -hmm. you don't really see. You, you, I mean, it doesn't even go that
2: long. No, and you know, here's another thing too. Meltzer referenced Nikolai Volkov in his analysis. Not only was this attempt at a babyface turn for Slaughter done way too close in relation to SummerSlam. It's basically a a reprisal of the ineffective Volkov face turn from the year prior, right down to the use of Duggan. Yeah, and the
0: Pledge of Allegiance.
2: Yeah, so this stunk, Slaughter does end up replacing the injured Jim Neidhart, the angle we mentioned earlier with the Beverly Brothers on Duggan's Survivor Series team. Now, he was not only, he was not the only Duggan team member that needed to be replaced.
0: No. You uh, you you wanted to bring this. So I did. I left this out thinking that ah, uh, I can't remember if we touched on this the previous quarter if they'd started this or not. Apparently not because the the vignettes for El Matador have begun and boy, there are are plenty of these.
2: I yeah, I couldn't believe this was gone. Like I had this already. <laughs> I couldn't wait to joke about El Matador. I was like, and I was going through it. I was like, wait a minute, where's El Matador? Because <laughs> the, 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 they started doing this right off the rip um after SummerSlam. Uh, he winds up replacing Steamboat. So we earlier mentioned Steamboat leaving the promotion. Uh, Ricky Steamboat was originally announced as part of Duggan's team. He lost two team members, uh, Neidhart and Steamboat. The other one was Carrie Von Erich. What a rogues gallery that is. <laughs> they opposed the—and what a team this is— Colonel Mustafa, The Bully, Skinner, and Berserker, and of course— as we mentioned, the bully was replaced by Hercules. So three of the eight people in that match wind up getting replaced. Yeah, that heel team is just egregious. Yeah, uh, just a real bottom-of-the-barrel, Pat Patterson gimmick barrel-type stuff here. just <laughs> hideous. But let's talk about El Matador, shall we? Please. He kept talking about, he meaning Tito, and the narration of these things, that he had to become El Matador. I don't understand why he had to become El Madador. It was sold, at least initially, that he was trying to become quicker. Yeah. But he really didn't change the way he worked at all, save for a slightly modified finisher. Uh, The narration by Tito was so goofy. I can't imagine his heart was into this. A guy who's been around as long as Hogan, part of the glory period of the promotion.
0: This was a fresh coat of paint on a stale house, brother oh was it ever and i mean again they they, these and i loved the way that they were shot too where it showed like stock footage of like a colosseum <laughs> filled with people yelling about bullfighting and then like like a close-up shot of, of uh of tito like just you know dodging a wheelbarrow or whatever the fuck yeah like a
2: fake it was so cheesy i remember watching this as a kid thinking it sucked Again, if you're not winning over the 11-year-old kids, and granted, you know, I'm getting into that age now where I can be a little snide. But still, I mean, this stunk. Uh, did you ever buy Santana's claim that he was being considered for a WF title run in 92? Because it seems preposterous given how this character didn't get over.
0: So I'm trying to put myself in the tenor of the times. This was when Bulldog and Warrior went and they were looking for somebody, that, and this is the spot that Brett got, is what I'm assuming, yes. because the story has always been that there were six guys on a list with circles around three of them. And when I think about that time, I'm surprised there's six baby faces left in the company. <laughs> so yeah. I can certainly see it being possible that since he's, like, reliable, dependable, probably fairly clean by the standards of, of the wrestlers of that era, um, dependable, I can see why he might just get, you know, Kind of a casual throw on the on the list of six, maybe, but uh, I can't see them being that serious. Okay,
2: I always thought it was preposterous. Yeah. Like when I heard that, I was like, Tito Santana as the babyface world champion in '92. Yeah. Like, it just it does it sounds insane. However, did you catch this in the this match against the Undertaker in yeah. Barcelona?
0: He goes over.
2: He beats the Undertaker who this is before Undertaker challenges Hogan. Yeah. And is over like freaking rover on this. Obviously, you know, they, they play up, you know, you know, Tito as, you know, a Hispanic wrestler. But I mean, he gets out of the body bag and hits Undertaker with three pile drivers. And yet Pete's the Undertaker in the main event of the – we're going to talk a little bit more about the European Tour in a little bit. But, dude, he was just insane. This was one of the most heated matches I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, they were they were going crazy. And I would not be surprised again. Again, ten of the times, think about it. America's tanking. They're probably thinking we might have to rely on Europe.
2: And, and that not that what Tito said? It was like either, well, they were going to either go with the Canadian heart or, you know, thinking like, you know, southern hemisphere with me. That was always his yeah. excuse. And I never bought it. But, my God. You see this, and it's like okay, maybe you know Tito could have drawn big, and that show did like nineteen thousand people or something.
0: Yeah, I, I could I could see during that period of time again, like Backlund had just come back, so they were reaching. You know, they really yeah. were reaching.
2: And, and Tito had a fair, you know, also on that European tour, he has a pretty decent match with Flair, and uh, you know, your neck of the woods a little closer to home at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. So yeah, so you know they they, they try with them, but ultimately this gimmick failed. Um,
0: yeah. By, by by menu, he's he's jumping in the opener to show on so that kind of tells yeah, you know, yeah. me. That,
2: that's what I'm thinking. Like, I i I can see where Tito thinks that maybe he would have had a shot based on that Undertaker match, but yeah, but like by the time ninety two rolls around, it's just n- no chance at all. Brett was certainly Brett was younger and more over. Um somebody who was not really over any longer was Carrie von Erich. Which is sad. It was so in addition to lying about his brother's death to Cub Scouts. And the aforementioned job to the Undertaker when Steamboat refused. Carrie misses time dur- during these months. Uh once because he passed blood in his kidneys. He also had his stomach pumped a different time and his brother Chris commits suicide. Yeah. This would be So if you include Jack Jr., this is the fourth von Eric brother to die.
0: Yeah, this is getting ugly.
2: Yeah, because David, uh, you know, died in eighty four. Then Mike, yeah, Mike. died, at, and then Carrie would obviously be the fifth in early ninety three.
0: Yeah, this is just
2: that's that's a, that's a story that I feel like if my what my I told my wife, I think she would actually like just be so stunned she would be probably interested in hearing the story that like there's like the idea that there's five famous brothers who die.
0: All of them, yeah, and there's one and, left.
2: Yeah, and it, it's Kevin. So, um, you know <laughs> Obviously, this is you know uh, not uh, you know it doesn't make up for all that stuff, but you know it, just to put a bow on that hideous Survivor Series match we talked about, uh, Kerry, you know for all the all the problems he had during this period, he at least gets to survive along with Duggan Slaughter and, and
0: Matador <laughs> in that, <laughs> that bottom really, of the barrel that really is, match. That really is not a fair trade.
2: No, that's not. I mean, I mean, yeah, your heart goes out to the guy, obviously, but yeah, that's. And so yeah, they do the the clean sweep of the baby faces in that match. We just again, we do leave no stone
0: unturned, and that's what happens there. Yeah. So moving along on television, Bret Hart is awarded a trophy, and this really jumped out to me. He gets awarded a trophy for being the best wrestler of 1991 in the WWF. It's like, huh? It's like, <laughs> this. That's kind of like quite jarring. Like apparently that they claim this was voted on by the other wrestlers, which again is interesting it's quite a strong thing to give to Brett even if of this is just ultimately an angle setup though um, no,
2: no, is it like they don't really do it like I mean I guess like
0: the Mountie complains about yeah. it,
2: but like, yeah, I mean they don't do anything specifically with the the award yeah, the tro- the trophy. The trophy doesn't yeah. get
0: broken or they don't do anything like that it, it, it always feels like it's just like an excuse for the mountie to talk about something because really, yeah. he really I think any had the IC title so it was something he needed to. They do the angle afterwards where the Mountie hits the shock stick on Hart he's complaining he's kind of like campaigning for a title match for quite a while and gets a non title match with Brett Jimmy Hart throws water on Brett, the Mountie zaps him, and this. I, I I had about my feel this goofy fucking sound effect they play every time the man he shocks somebody for some reason I I didn't remember as a kid that it was like a hokey played over the over the TV, sh- you know. Sh- I, sh- I
2: I feel they've done it before this, but they sort of turned totally oh, the volume up. Yeah, they they definitely seem to turn the volume up uh, around this period and like going into like the Piper feud in early ninety two. So yeah, um. That best wrestler of ninety one thing I had forgotten about that, but I had recalled that it had been done. It it does feel odd that a babyface not named Hulk Hogan, yeah, that's would it. get something like this on television, and they play yeah they played it up that it was from the boys in the locker room. Um, it, I wonder why they did it. I, I guess it's just sort of something. that's like hey, we're looking to the future. We got to strengthen this guy and. You know, he's our intercontinental champion. That's an important position. And let's just, you know, call Bret Hart the best wrestler of 1991.
0: Which is kind of interesting when you consider the fact that he spent most of his time wrestling a fucking parade of just not over guys.
2: Yeah, so there's a lot to talk about with Bret Hart, even though his... First several, really the first run as IC Champ is pretty nondescript. Mm. Uh, he, he wins King of the Ring in front of an extraordinarily weak crowd in Providence, beating IRS in the finals. Okay, that's not a tournament that I don't think's ever made tape, uh, not something I would ever watch uh, if it has. You mentioned the set of opponents that he has to work with defending the IC title on the House shows. Warlord replaces the injured Mr. Perfect initially. We've got the Mountie we've mentioned barbarian skinner who replaces barbarian at tuesday in texas um you know given that dibiase lost this steamboat feud that they had apparently in the works i feel that they should have just gone to brett and dibiase in the fall and like brett and the bounty is terrible obviously yeah. um we, we can get back to that in a second but you know brett and dibiase they had a good match in MSG in December, so they do work with each other. What do you think
0: about that
2: as an Intercontinental title feud? Brett's kind of first thing. Ted DiBiase.
0: It's a shitload better than what they do with either of them. Yeah. Um,
2: I, I think they could have just easily gone away from DiBiase Virgil, right? I mean, Because that thing was running on it was fumes done. anyway. Yeah. It after, it was, once Virgil won, I don't know why they kept talking about it. Like, DiBiase, I guess, wanted his million-dollar title back. But They could have done something. I was thinking about this. Like, how do you do Brett and DiBiase, an IC title feud? And I think him trying to buy the IC title would have been too similar to the famous angle with Hogan a few years earlier. I would have had DiBiase go to ringside, buy the Bret Hart sunglasses off a kid. Like, Brett would have wrestled earlier that night. You know, he always put the sunglasses on the kid. Diviase comes out later in the show and pays the kid for the sunglasses, okay? And then just rips them up in front of the kid. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah, so, like, that. that's just so, I mean, it's a lot better than this Bret Hart Mountie deal. Uh, by the way, going back to the angle where he zaps him, the way Bret Hart says, jailbird, is the same exact way he says you're nothing more than a Burger King at Jerry Lawler, <laughs> King of the Ring 93. So Brett had a very distinct tone when it came to cheesy insults of the heels, I think, uh, at least
0: during this period. I did like the mention you put in your notes about Brett and dbr having a good match in MSG, by the way. I like that match.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was. Uh, you know, He was the match with the Barbarian, I think, was kind of good that they have at a house show, too. But again, it's the Barbarian. No one's going to buy him as an intercontinental champion. I just mm. think. You know, you just look at the, the that that I think is what made it so nondescript. This is the the guys that he was worked with. It was
0: these just gimmicky, shitty heels. Um, that's um, all the, they had. Like that, that's that's the mid card. I think, yeah. I mean, that's like, if you're not an established star, you're one of these like one name losers. Warlord, Skinner, the Bully, the messy. Yeah, <laughs> the
2: Bully. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll get to the depth chart a little bit later on too, just to show how lacking in depth it really is. But on the bright side, uh, he was said to have a great match with The Undertaker in Dayton. Yeah. It's, been, I, right. yep. I, it's on uh, Coliseum Video. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Uh, I certainly have seen the match he has with Ric Flair also taped for Coliseum Video. That's on Invasion 92. Uh, this is pre-Royal Rumble, so it's like, I guess, technically an intercontinental title match. Rick Flair getting a shot at the IC yeah. title. Um, it's got a kind of a crappy finish to it, but um, but it's, it's you know, the first Brett Flair meeting. And his weekly column in the Calgary Sun starts
0: around this time. Indeed. Not yet. I don't, I don't think it was ghost written by Bruce. Although at some point I think it was accused that Bruce was ghost writing it. But oh my goodness. I don't know if that's actually true. I remember hearing that around this time where people were saying that, yeah, Bruce Hart would fill in sometimes. <laughs> well, a dead giveaway would be if it ever
2: was like, you know who my best wrestling brother is? It's Bruce. <laughs> like, I think that would have been the giveaway when Bruce was ghost riding. But, yeah, so, man, we just threw a lot at the folks about, you know, a pretty nondescript IC title run. You know, he wins King of the Ring. He's named Wrestler of the Year. He wrestles Ric Flair. Uh but he, you know, unfortunately has a lot of crappy opponents most of the yeah, time.
0: Yeah, I mean, hey, at least they threw the substitutes there, but it felt like substitutes for, for a, a meteor angle. And DBRC was right there. DBRC did get the million-dollar belt back at the Survivor Series showdown, beating Virgil, thanks to help from the repo man. Um, but again, like you say, I felt like that Slam was it for that.
2: Yeah, they just didn't need to continue to feud. I mean, I get – and I guess that's kind of cheating because we know what happens with DVRC and the million-dollar title does get retired. But it just feels like, did he
0: need it back, really? Nah, but Virgil winning it and retiring it's the perfect end for it.
2: Yes, like giving it to the people and boy, do we
0: have
2: something to get to in a minute. That's going to just be yeah. a entire <laughs> turn of this podcast. But... um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's cheating because of the trajectory in 92 for DiBiase, but there was no need to continue that feud. No, not at all. Because Virgil just died. There was nothing really to do with Virgil either. So, yeah. And, and again, we talk about DiBiase's trajectory in 92. We get our first tease of money, Inc. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With DiBiase and IRS do a TV match beating
0: the Bushwhackers on Challenge. Putrid idea for Ted DBR. So you did need something new, granted, but this is the this is the right thing. Yeah, I mean IRS will always kill your heat.
2: Uh speaking of heat, I think <laughs> we need to reference this Virgil vignette from September and more specifically what Meltzer wrote about <laughs> it in the Observer.
0: <laughs> you, you, you were you were You're apoplectic when you found
2: this. (laughs) I I sent it to you and DM it originally and said, we are going to mention this on the show. I cannot believe this was
0: written. (laughs) All right, I'm going to read it. So this is a Virgil vignette post-winning the Million Dollar Belt at SummerSlam.
2: And it's something you could never air today. It was very odd. Like, Virgil was just surrounded by children, telling them to believe in their dreams, and he kept yelling, touch it. Obviously referring (laughs) to the belt... But it was very problematic. And speaking of
1: problematic, just read the
0: Meltzer quote. Dave says, Did you notice on television when WCW did a skit surrounding Ron Simmons with kids that all the kids were black and not particularly snappily dressed? (laughs) But when the WWF did something similar with Virgil, all the kids were white and dressed like kids of yuppie parents. I'm not trying to insinuate which is better or worse just that the difference was so marked in how each group pushes what is in reality its token black star <laughs> good grief! Jesus. I feel weird <laughs> even reading that I didn't I, write know.
2: It. I didn't even I didn't know if we even wanted to, but I don't know I just felt like you know I didn't want anyone to say hey you guys should have referenced this quote so it, 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 that's a quote that was in the rustic observer newsletter now speaking of racist um at the end of the year, DiBiase has his t- starts this terrible feud with El Matador, which is seemingly built on the notion that Santana's old neighborhood, quote, stinks.
0: <laughs> this I, is... cannot, I cannot believe that made air. Shade, this is like shades of him. For those of you who have seen the previous year's TV, shades of him ding up shit on the boss man, going to his hometown and trying to you know, kind of get the locals to bury him. But this is this is just him walking, like him and Sherry getting out of a car, walking around uh, a not-too-great-looking neighborhood and just ripping on, ripping on yeah. the whole town.
2: Yeah, they're not even really getting locals to rip on Santana, I don't think. They just, like, you're like, it smells so bad Yeah, here. this is it's
0: horrible just, here.
2: I just, I, it goes nowhere. Uh, I don't, you know, don't know why. It just felt like, okay, that we were going to do the thing with DiBiase and Steamboat. We need to do yeah. something with Ted. So they give him El Matador, and plus El Matador
0: kind of got involved with Virgil. Yeah, they do the tag match. I think it's Tuesday in Texas.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, Matador Vir- against DiBiase Repo and Repo Dibiase, Man. Yeah. But yeah, once DiBiase goes into money, this is over, and thankfully goes nowhere because I don't think we need a feud based on the fact that Tito Santana's old neighborhood quote stinks.
0: No, this is, and again, this is that the million dollar belt quietly just goes away as we head into nineteen ninety two. Um, like I said before, it feels like Virgil retiring gets the logical end of the story, and for the, like, you know, the first two months of the year until he he drops it, it feels like they're both just kind of waiting to get to the point where he's going to lose it back, like especially Virgil, he's just, you know, I don't know, maybe he should have donated you know, donate it to the kids, you know? He should have, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was a lot better than just him yelling
2: at a bunch of children, quote, touch it! <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I was just, I was was like, seeing Meltzer's quote and watching that video at the same time, I was just like, recoiling in horror from just everything that was around me at the time. I was like, make it stop.
0: It's it's not good. Now, to move on to something that obviously is a lot more memorable than the the, the Ted DiBiase El Matador feud, the Rockers gave notice to the company on Tuesday, this is the same time that Randy Savage gives in his notice, mid-September. They're still on the booking sheets through December, so a three-month notice they give. Sean Michael, says Meltzer, will be back working after missing a few months with a bad knee at the upcoming television tapings.
2: Yes. So, Shane Douglas, how ironic, and Jim Powers, gross, uh, teamed with Jannetty <laughs> while Michaels was out. And in your notes, I think you wanted to get my reaction to it or didn't know if I had known it. I... I had maybe would have forgotten it had Garrett Gonzalez and Dave Meltzer not recently referenced it on Wrestling Observer Radio. But the whole, like, I think it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. The Rockers giving notice in September. And you say, funny story that comes out later.
0: <laughs> Please go into things. that right now. There's a couple of things here. I'm not sure which one you've heard, but I know that there was an issue. Before they, they, there was a blow up between Sean and Marty, but there was an issue with a cereal box that apparently contributed to this. Where there was a bunch of people who were gonna do an advert to be on like a the a cereal box, the Rockers, LOD, a uh, handful of other guys, and they all got paid five grand. Apart from the Rockers, you got two and a half each, which Sean was not too happy about because LOD got five each. So sure. he was kind of he he was kind of not very happy anyway. Of course. As we'll talk about, they weren't exactly doing a lot in 1991 anyway. And, and no. Sean was out with a knee injury. This ends up, there's also a, another story that goes on before this, where Marty Giannetti, who's not always the most credible source, so take this with a grain of salt or whatever else, recurring <laughs> joke to this, podcast for certain people. But uh, he told us about how him and Sean were in a hotel once with Roddy Piper. And Piper, in front of Giannetti, is just talking up Michaels. Like, Michaels is like the greatest... Yeah, you know, he's just got all this potential. You got, you're so good. Your movement's so good. You got, you, know, you got charisma. You can be a superstar. You'll be really great. And Jeanette's just like sat there with his dick in his hand, <laughs> like just oh like, feeling, God. just feeling quite like slighted that like, Piper is just like putting Sean over as this great future star, while Janetti's just sat there like a dickhead. So then Gennetti's like, well, hang on a second. What about me? And Sean gets a little bit hot at Marty because hey, don't talk to Piper that way. You know, he's kind of defending Piper because Piper's putting him over. This ends up with a bit of a confrontation, and it ends up with a fight where Marty pretty much kind of kicks Sean around a little bit, apparently. Um, I think Genetti gets arrested here. And as he's being dragged out, Randy Savage is apparently the person who talks to the cops to get into. No, this is just something we're doing for television. It's just a big storyline, you know, in typical Randy Savage style, as uh, as, as Janetti recalled the story.
2: Okay, That's not the fucking <laughs> way on, I can't wait this to happen. I hope it's true. I know, I do too.
0: <laughs> I hope it's true. Anyway, so this ultimately ends with Sean being frustrated enough with Marty and with his like in the WWF that he pretty much talks Marty Janetti into giving notice on behalf of both of them. And then he individually goes to the company and says he doesn't want to leave and wants to stay, which really kind of puts the uh, puts the kibosh on Genetti. So what a double cross that is. That, is. that is
2: just that, awe-inspiring. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, Jesus. I mean, we all talk about 97 shot and the political machinations. We have, that is something, yeah, to just, you know, have Jeanette go, yeah, yeah, we're going to live, we're giving notice, and Michael's like, I'm not.
0: <laughs> After Sean, this story is that Sean is like the like the ringleader. Hey, Mar- we got to get out of here, Mike. Mar- we got we got to get out. Give 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 them notes for both of us, and just to go up to like pass and be like, I'm staying.
2: Yeah, that's I that's, love it here. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So yeah, and Melts and so Dave, who was kind of unaware of this, I think all in real time, hmm. he notes if you can see, he's like, as you can see, if they are starting a Michaels turn, the Rockers are staying. Of course, the, tur- we can then- the turn starts happening on television, the Shawn Michaels heel turn.
0: It does, yes. And it starts, at there's a match with the, the Natural Disasters where they do a- they do a spot where Marty dropkicks Typhoon into Shawn, who is, like, standing between the two of them. So Typhoon goes into Shawn, who goes into Earthquake, and he gets stuck in this kind of hideous fat sandwich between the two Natural Disasters. Giannetti, after, after hurting Shawn, just looks to Jimmy Hart and chases into the locker room unprovoked for no reason, and just leave Sean to get crushed and beat. And, you know, you kind of feel like Sean's in the right here to the man.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. Initially, I was going to say, do you think they always knew that Michaels was going to be the heel? Because it looks, it kind of is clumsier here in, like, the Survivor Series. Same mm-hmm. thing, too. Like, it's not overt that Sean is the heel. Like, Sean's frustrated. But it's not like where it's like, oh, what a dick. He's, you know... You know, and there's any sympathy towards Marty. By the way, uh, Meltzer went on a big tangent about this thing at Survivor Series. (laughs) So it's the Rockers and the Bushwhackers against the Nasty Boys and the Beverly Brothers. Again, what an elimination match that is. But Bonsoon, like, totally blows the commentary and, like, doesn't even notice the ones eliminated. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't I and and like yeah, Meltzer was just like called it like the worst play-by-play in the history of of like pay-per-view or something like that. So it wasn't obvious right away that Michaels was going to be the one who goes heel, but as time wears on, there's some really good character work that makes it clear he is. You know, he flirts with a girl at ringside when the rockers are doing a squash match. He refuses to tag in In a different way, he does all the work by himself and wins. And Jannetty's like, what the heck, man? Um, And then there is an LOD Rockers match uh, where, again, some miscommunication is seemingly the breaking point of
1: the team.
0: Yeah. Now, they do do a singles match with Michaels and where again. After the match is over, they kind of tease. Yeah, they tease these problems with just Jannetty and Michaels, which is kind of just a recurring theme for a while. Like you say, at first, it's not so obvious. It's just the team's having problems. But you're starting to see that the personality they're showing is all Sean yes and people should go
2: out of their way to actually watch that michaels Flair match it's a dark match it's on invasion 92 just like the brett match that we mentioned earlier on they're on back to back you do have to sit through some just absolutely abhorrent lord al hayes and sean moody's star trek sketches oh no yes but you get this and it like michaels is doing some high flying stuff flair's giving him a lot and yeah the finish of that match correct me if i'm wrong liam is Michaels is kind of hurt. Shinetti rolls him back into the ring and he just gets pinned. He gets pinned by Flair, yeah. Yeah. um, Now, it's interesting. Michaels specifically asked to work with Ric Flair Mm -hmm. and was given that opportunity. This was great because, notes notes, Shane Douglas, earlier in the year, had similarly asked for a match with Mr. Perfect but did not get it. (laughs) Um, You know, and (laughs) – michael's actually got a singles match with perfect around that same time and it was quite good i I can't remember if we mentioned that or the house show match against Cato, which is i think msg in april michael's throughout 91 you mentioned earlier rockers not really a big part of the fabric in 91 on tv but michael's throughout that year you did it's obvious to see now but even in real time was starting to stand out as a singles worker
0: and clearly wanted to go in that direction yes absolutely um and this was at a time too where the tag division was really kind of stagnating. You know, LOD's the top base team. Rockers found themselves with precious little to do. There's not that many teams to work with that they haven't already. Um, so you can kind of see, you know, you can you can understand why Sean and even the company's kinda of got one eye on we surely can be doing more with this guy, especially when the heel side as we've been talking about is so so shallow.
2: Yeah, and it sucks like you know, people are saying, oh, well, the heels, the tag team division sucks. Just, you know, I don't think anyone would actually make this point because I think most it works out, obviously, quite well for Sean, the split, uh, not mm. so much Marty. But people could be like, oh, well, you know, if the Rockers just waited their time, they could have finally been tag team champions. But the problem is they've been positioned like kind of just an underneath team for yeah. so long that I don't think a Rockers title run would have worked. No. Had they stayed together in early 92. Like, you know, if they'd beaten Money Inc. or something like that, if they'd been the ones to do it it, it, it was just too foregone. It was time to break them up. They'd been around for three years. I, I think, you know, it, yeah, it was just time to do something new. And Sean wanted to, obviously.
0: Yeah. Um, one of those things where if, if, if the Rockers had won, it would have felt like the division was being brought down rather than them being elevated because the depth was so poor on the tag team side. Was, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was the reason why they would have got it anyway. Michaels does, of course, turn heel on Ginetti in the barbershop angle, which they take the same night as Tuesday in Texas. But this doesn't air until next year.
2: Yeah, until, until January, right before the Rumble. So we're not going to talk about the angle yet because I, uh, you know, maybe I'll slip Liam a 50 after the show. I, I think we're going to talk 92 eventually together, <laughs> the two of us. So we'll save our thoughts for that. What do you think about taping the angle so far in advance? This is obviously something that could never be done today. I mean, Yeah, is, get it's, away it's with like, it then. But what a contrast to now. Yeah, I mean, this is like – in the last episode, we talked about how the flare Piper angle where Vince McMahon eats the chair shot. It built a little bit of momentum and got, like, you know, it almost felt like a bit of an urban legend in the newsletters till it aired. Yeah. But this is, like, I mean, my God, it's – well, Tuesday in Texas was December, right? It's, like, the first Tuesday in December. So, yeah. But even so, I mean, this was, like, five or six weeks ahead of time of airing. That's that's kind of a long bit.
0: They, even by like this era's standards. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they did this now. They just changed their mind and it gets scrapped or something, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And Where was this Tuesday in Texas?
0: It was in San Antonio, (laughs) the hometown.
2: Yeah, so Michaels gets to turn heel in his hometown. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, we're moving forward here because obviously, as we mentioned on the last uh, podcast, the WWF title is vacant as we head into December. And amidst all of the the Royal Rumble 92 promos, because the whole company is cutting promos, talking about this match and their chance to be the WWF champion, The Nasty Boys announced that they will both be in the Rumble, which, sorry, Nobbs, didn't happen. <laughs> nope,
2: um, although it's only fair play after Sags didn't get to work ninety one. Yeah, although I guess Sags being in the one that's for the world title is a better deal. I'd say no- so. Although Nobbs is in the final three. I was 92. gonna say <laughs> Nobbs. Maybe Nobbs should have gone in I mean, for a ninety two. I mean, my God, they really, you know, <laughs> they really cared about the Nasty Boys here. They <laughs> to make it fair, but. Um, there was an incident with Nobbs and Ric Flair after a November MSG show at the China Club. But Meltzer says it was not a fight and that there are many contradictory stories. Yeah, Flair said it was a fight. Okay, so there we go. <laughs> Speaking of contradictory, there you go.
0: <laughs> Flair's, Flair's explanation, as I remember, is he Brian Nobbs was being loud and obnoxious. Ric Flair said something back, so Nobbs got right into his face and... And his kind of, you know, his face contorting like a jellyfish, as you can imagine, just screamed, fuck you, Flair, right in his face. So I think Flair and him started tussling, and he goes, I think he said that, like, he was handling it pretty well until Sags got involved, because Sags was pretty tough, apparently. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, that, I'm sure,
2: no matter how it ended up, was better for Nobbs than the reason he misses the 92 Rumble, (laughs) which was he was stabbed in an incident in Peoria, Illinois.
0: He doesn't have a great track record with these fights.
2: This was not wrestling related. It was like something like they were in a car with somebody and like yeah. there was an argument. Yeah. And then like that, like, I don't know if it was a fan or some random people. We talked about this on Top Rope Nation Classic. I don't have the um, info. Hold on. Actually, I can probably bring this up real quick. I love how this is from a website called Shitloads of Wrestling. <laughs> that i have this but anyway well, it's uh, great domain name yeah youths attack nasty boys peoria illinois professional wrestling's nasty boys testify that three peoria youths got the upper hand in a january attack that left one of the wrestlers stabbed and the other injured Oh uh, damn me the world wrestling Federation tag team accused three men of, of attacking them after a january 5th match prosecutors have charged uh, david miller 20 chad rains 19 and john stanley 20 with four counts each of aggravated battery and two counts of mob action. Um, so, yeah, he, he was stabbed. Um, they were harassed by Miller, Raines and Stanley as they drove to the hotel following the wrestling match. They said the men swerved across five lanes of traffic to pull in front of the wrestler's car and stop them. Uh, Nobs got out of the car to check for damage and was attacked by Miller with a knife. Okay, no. He said rain struck his partner with battery jumper cables. This <laughs> actually happened. Uh, Nobs says he was bleeding profusely and went to a local hospital for treatment, notably not called a medical facility by the newspaper. Mm, uh, funny, huh? um, there was also a passenger with the three men. 16-year-old Trina Robertson testified she saw Miller leap out of the car, knife in hand, and stab Knobs. So – what a freaking time to be alive this yeah,
0: yeah. Not 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 a good uh, not a good uh I don't know man. I don't know about these nasty boys?
1: Yeah, I know. too
0: best. much time pissing around with that pity city or whatever the fuck it was yeah. called.
2: Would Bill Watts have made an excuse here, <laughs> about getting Beat up by the marks because he was stabbed with a knife. Nah, he'd have been out the door. Okay. Um you talk about all the Royal Rumble promos and I you know, again, compared to today, I don't give a damn what anybody says about these surprises. I love when the entire field's announced, and you're just getting weeks and weeks of people talking about what winning the WF title would mean to them, even if it's completely preposterous, yeah. like Jerry Sags. Just because it puts over the idea that anyone could be the champion. Um, Did any of
0: the promos stand out to you at all during this period? Or yeah, you know, I mean, I actually, I there was one that Virgil did. Believe it or not. Oh I my actually- god. I actually I know but it's I like it just because he brings up the point of like how he would even knock out Roddy Piper to win this because he wants the title so bad. Yes. And it's like I, I don't even and again of course they do do a thing in the rumble where they fight so I quite again it's like it's a it's a very small thing and it's not like the promo was even long enough to be great or even really all that good. It's just that the the principle of him doing it and again looking serious enough and you know, he, again, I think he called him Rowdy Piper as if it was his first name. So you know, again, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that this was you know Kane Dewey or anything like that. But
1: <laughs> okay.
2: it's great that you mentioned that because um as we're about to talk to or talk about um I watched the Royal Albert Hall show like two nights ago just yeah. to pre- just to get every last detail down for this podcast and um. Cammie, my wife, she walks in the room and I, you know, I just pause like, yeah, whatever, I'll watch the Battle Royal tomorrow. <laughs> She's not going to watch this. And she sees a little thing on here and she goes, tell me about, Well oh God, what did she say? Tell what was Rowdy Rick Piper doing here? <laughs> my wife, God bless her soul, doesn't even know the top people in the history of this business. So he, <laughs> I have tried. It's just not going to happen. But yeah, Rowdy Rick Piper is uh, a little worse than what Virgil had to say. Yeah, what well. About- <laughs> it was still Although so that, that virtual promo on Gunther that he cut on Twitter was maybe the greatest <laughs> thing of all time.
0: Uh, Mike Jones, what are you doing? IRS is, is absolutely awful. I know that you'll be stunned by that, but he's just like, 30-man Royal Rumble, what a match.
2: I'm going to audit 29 other people. Yeah, yeah. You're, you don't even need to know. You're it.
0: all a bunch of tax cheats. It's just awful. The bulldog just tortures the language trying to construct a sentence. Oh, Flaz was good. I'll say that.
2: Yeah, God, Bulldog had some brute You, you talk about Bulldog never became a top guy. Sometimes you go back and watch his promos. You can see why that is.
0: Oh, it's quite apparent why he's not He's not a top guy. Jake. Jake gets a good one in where he talks about how Randy Savage getting his hands on him or the belt was like safe sex. It just doesn't happen.
2: Yes! Why did I not write that? Oh, my
0: God, that one was good. I'm glad you mentioned that's a, that. That's a good line. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I believe it when Jake says it. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> but no there's some good ones there's some good ones as the year yeah. wraps up yeah. what do you think
2: about um what i said earlier about everyone being announced ahead of time
0: i like that you know it's like, I, some of the better rumbles are the ones where you know i i like knowing what you're getting and yeah. it's actually the, the intrigue is what's going to happen with this field not the the element of you know what's going to be the toy in my happy meal that's the bonus it's like yeah i, I like the idea of this is this is what's at stake. This is who's fighting for it. And we're going to spend our time focusing not on just the fact that this match is happening, but the fact that everybody individually really badly wants the outcome to go their way. And we're going to just going to spend time letting these guys talk about how important it is.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm obviously a fairly insane person, but I remember like watching the Rumbles as a child, always being like, "All right, which one of these guys is coming up next? Like who hasn't come out yet?"
1: Mm, yeah. Not
2: like, you know, now because people are so um you know, apt to just want a surprise. They just stare at the, you know, at the entranceway. Like they just can't wait for the countdown to happen. and They don't care about the action if you know there hasn't been a surprise or anything. Yeah. Sometimes a surprise is good, obviously, but it, they're too reliant on. It could be like you know anybody in the yeah. world coming out next.
0: Where Look, I, no. I can't remember what it was it maybe in two thousand and seventeen. I can't. Remember. There was one where they they re- I mean the entire build up. On like the pregame show and in the videos and all the stuff they were wearing on television was basically all around about anything can happen in the Rumble, anyone can show up in the Rumble, you never know what you know who's going to show up, who could win, and it's like then like when it happens and it's just like the most predictable finish and no, there was no real surprises. It's just like why even bother? Like yeah, you know, if, uh, if that if that should not be the main selling point of a Royal Rumble to me. No, it it basically says our roster's shit. Too, yeah, I, you have I to our roster rely roster sucks. A roster sucks, and the stakes are not nearly... To me, the stakes is what sells a match. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, whatever. But uh, I guess it's probably beating a drum after last Sunday's fast. But a uh, few odds and ends to get to here, Kyle. A bit of miscellaneous uh, housekeeping on the back end that we've got to tie up here. Some interesting stuff talking about the 1991 Survivor Series planning. Uh, There's a quote from Meltzer on the Observer where he says that while the most recent W.F. magazine indicated that there would be an Ultimate Survivor Series match, like we had in 1990, uh, where all those not eliminated in the four matches will face off at the end, the latest word I've got is that the plan was scrapped. Last year's Ultimate Survivor match was anticlimactic on the show, a sentence which is only funnier when you actually look at what they did end.
2: (laughs) 1991 with. Yes, uh, 1991 was worse, and just uh, so everyone's aware, if they had done an Ultimate Survivor Match based on who survived, who had the it would have been like this on the baby face side, you would have had the entire team of Duggan, Slaughter, Carey, and El Matador, and then you would have had LOD. So that was six. Six, six guys on the baby face side, and then the four heels would have been Rick Flair, whichever one of the Beverly survived, and the nasty boys. So Rick, so Rick and the dad, Rick and Brian Dobbs would have been on the same team. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would have been good. So I'm sure once the idea was scrapped, even less thought was put into who was going to survive the elimination matches. Like had they done an ultimate survivor, obviously that's not the way it would have turned out at all. No, no. And again, that survivor series 91, easily the weakest of the first five. Uh, and a, a note that I found in WWF magazine, which I had, it was originally scheduled for Milwaukee, not Detroit. Hmm. I, I don't know why that change was. I, I Googled. I have absolutely no idea. You know, just uh, I don't know if there was something going on with the basketball arenas at that no. point. But the state, um, the
0: state of Wisconsin dodged a bullet. Yeah,
2: I guess so. And, of course, not only the first one with the WF title match, the first one on Thanksgiving Eve. It's now the Thanksgiving Eve tradition. Of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve tradition.
0: I do remember that as a final note on the Survivor Series before we move on, I do remember... As a kid, when I was uh, becoming a big giant wrestling fan in 93, 94, going to the video store, renting every old pay-per-view that they had because they had a turn getting the 91 Survivor series, and I remember when it was finished, I just simply remember thinking, I don't need to rent that one again. <laughs> no, it's been... And Certain is- Royal I- Rumbles and stuff, I would, and, and, and you know, the, the really good shows are the ones that just felt good and exciting, but I, I remember distinctly thinking that about the 91 Survivor series.
1: Yeah, and
2: you want it to be good because, again, the TV's better. You got some new care,
0: but it's just – it's no damn good. Speaking of no damn good, by the way, how about this next note? Oh, boy. We've had some – we're stretching (laughs) the gamut of of questionability here on this podcast today. (laughs) A a, a new low, I believe, to cover here on this podcast. (laughs) Think of the ground we've covered in WWF during this period. The WWF found itself in some hot water over an incident in Vancouver during a Bushwhackers versus Beverly Brothers match. Uh, British Columbia gay activist Ken Walker demanded an apology from the WWF over the faggot chants by (sighs) the Bushwhackers and the portrayal of the genius character. They sent the message that it's okay to abuse, this is in quotes, they sent the message that it's okay to abuse gays and make them an object of hatred. Uh, The WWF verbally apologized to Walker, but it's gone farther as Vancouver City Hall has asked the WWF to send in a written apology for the behavior of the Bushwhackers. I mean, clear if that's referencing the gay thing or just their general behavior. I don't uh... know.
2: I think we noticed, but what the fuck is this? Weren't (laughs) the Bushwhackers supposed to be the tag team for the kids, Liam? (laughs) So I thought. What was the selling point of the Bushwhackers here? Come for the head licking, stay for the homophobia? I mean, (laughs) what is going on here? I mean... You can't dra- you can't go with that. Although no. I mean obviously it would be a big part of, you know, wrestling for
0: God, when did it stop finally? Oh, I can tell you that I have been on some Kyle Ross. I have been on some shitty indie shows about a decade or so ago where I saw Ooh. people still doing it.
2: Oh man. Yeah, did...
0: you wouldn't believe
2: it. Like I'm Yeah, like I I'm trying to think like just here in this like in culture like Cause you would hear it in rap songs. Yeah. Sometimes too. Like, I'm trying to think, like, it felt like the early, or pardon me, like the late 2010s, it stopped. Like, obviously, there was such controversy that Eminem album. Yeah. You know, in the early, um, but like, I feel it stretched to like 2000, like, you know, and obviously when WF went PG, it didn't happen, but I'm trying to think, like, when they stopped, like, encouraging it or doing, like, homophobic, stuff? Like, what was the last, like, homophobic thing that WWF did?
0: Ooh, that's tough. Um...
2: I know I'm really putting you on the spot here. Well,
0: I mean, you yeah, know, they didn't do anything obviously, as distasteful as you'd expect with Darren Young. I guess Rico.
2: <laughs> yeah, Rico was pretty bad, yeah. Rico might have been at least... Uh, well, and then there was, you know, obviously they tried to make it like they were so positive with Billy and Chuck, but that I thought was just, like...
0: <laughs> I was just trying to have their cake and eat it. Yeah, that was that
2: was pretty shameless to be honest. So uh yeah, I mean it stretch obviously gold dust happens and whatnot. Adrian Adonis got this chant years before, so Yeah. But still, I mean the bushwhackers, like I'm just like, picturing them doing like their like their arm thing, like leading <laughs> like trying to get the crown and
1: shit. It's like what are we? chilling
2: gang oh my lord uh not to be outdone wayne bloom spent a night in jail around this time period uh for a separate incident in milwaukee uh charged with disorderly conduct not the wcw tag team disorderly <laughs> conduct. but uh yeah so lots of people in legal uh trouble here on the uh, undercard of the wwf in the tag team division specifically
0: yeah so so ashamed right? they, they crossed the pond to come to england uh, for the Royal Albert Hall show and the European tour in general we're going to come to now because it says here in the Observer there was interest in England to host one of the major pay-per-view shows in 1992. However, between the time difference problem, which is really only a minor problem because they can still broadcast the show on tape delay for the appropriate US time, and the cost of doing a show of this type overseas, uh, the, obviously kind of the callback here is the WrestleMania from Toronto, which presented so many problems because it's from a foreign country that when it was over they were swearing they'd never do a pay-per-view from a foreign country again but never in wrestling is 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, says Dave, but if the popularity in England stays at its current level, maybe it's inevitable at some point. And
2: Look, I think we all know where this leads to, and this is something yep. we're going to talk about moving forward a lot, the declining popularity here in the States, but it's bur- the company's burgeoning popularity in Europe. There's another European tour in the fall. I think there's four dates in the UK. They all sell yep. out. Uh, the Royal Albert Hall is one of them. That shows on the network. I think they do Birmingham, Sheffield, and another show in London. They do the huge show that gets 19,000 in Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, they go to Brussels in Belgium, a lovely city. I've been there before. Me too. Uh, Very nice place. Oh yeah. It was, it was great. Um, we were there with, uh, when my daughter was not even one years old, I remember it was great. Like she would pass out in her stroller. For a nap and Cammie and I would just dart into a bar the second she passed out just like immediately <laughs> just start drinking <laughs> with our like passed out child. It's a great city. If any of you folks are out there listening, you have a very small child. I'm telling you, you're not going to do any worse than a city to pull that off than Brussels. It was unbelievable. And we were just doing it for like two straight days. It, it worked. So, um, <laughs> good times, but yeah, um, the Royal Albert Hall show, I watched it. Two nights ago, I'd seen it before. I couldn't remember much about it except the battle royal and yeah, Blair Santana. Uh, it
0: is not a good show. It is not a great show. There's a couple of decent moments. It also unfortunately features Lord Al Hayes and Mel Phillips in the ring sharing <laughs> <laughs> announcing not, duties. Not the last time Mel Phillips' name will be mentioned on this podcast series. No, just I mean just the, the sight of of this combination one of the seriously one of the worst people in WWF history in the ring with Mel Phillips.
2: Oh, come on, <laughs> I, I mean, the hatred you have for Al Hayes is truly something. I mean, it is unbelievable. What did this man
0: ever do to you? He just screamed. I mean, he, he's like the worst. I hated this man when I, again, I guess, as a kid, I guess, the, you the know stereotype what?
2: of this. You're right. You're, okay, okay. Who am I talking to? Yes, I would also hate Al Hayes, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, they, they do 7,000 in Paris on this tour. Yeah, uh, that was not a sellout. Um, but 12,000 in Birmingham, which was a sellout. Uh, Sheffield sold out. Brussels, no attendance. Uh, Barcelona, yeah, I said 19,000. That's a massive. And then, uh, Webley Arena in London was 12,000 for a sellout and the Royal Albert Hall was 5,000 for a sellout. So they're doing great. Um, but man, they really tried to kill the town right away on that Royal Albert Hall show. Like the first five matches, the heels all went over it all go over. Take his entrance is, is, is fun. Yeah, that's a highlight, and then Bulldog wins a battle royal. I am convinced that they need to do more battle royals on Raw. Like have undercard matches that build to a battle royal to keep that three hour show interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Like I was different. like I was thinking about like Battle
2: Bowl or something being on Raw. I say that a lot, yeah. I think. About, well, I I,
0: I always thought the Battle Bowl worked better as a TV concept anyway. I thought it was a terrible idea for a pay-per-view, but you could get away with it as like a one off special TV show. Yeah, way to launch some angles. Maybe you know, have a have two guys have accidental good chemistry to start new team something like that. And, yeah, you could you could do stuff. And when
2: you've got a roster now that they've all worked together a lot, yeah, you're not going to have those logistical nightmares of you know like you, you had in WCW thirty years ago, where guys were you know just had never worked before the matches were a disaster. But yeah, I just thought because if you haven't seen Royal Albert Hall. There's a series of matches, and at the end, everybody then wrestles in a battle royal.
0: Which is not a great battle royal. No, <laughs> it's not. And,
2: and, and speaking of problematic, Roddy Piper cuts a problematic promo on that show, too, which I believe is edited on the network, on the clock. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so that that's the European tour. It was successful again, and people can watch Royal Albert Hall. It wasn't the only t- successful shows they did during this period. They, uh, did a big show in Hawaii, which was, I think, the best Hogan and Flair ever did in terms of drawing. Really? Club. Wow. Yeah. Where is that show? Where is Hawaii? Here, let's. I love the. I love the fine function. Wait a That's minute. I have to type Honolulu. Okay, here, uh, Honolulu.
1: Eighteen thousand.
2: They did at Aloha Stadium in December. Hogan and Flair. So they weren't doing that here in the states for anything. And then, of course, they go over to Japan. One more time for the SWS though, Ho- yeah. Hogan Russell's Tenru. I think that's a heavily papered house, however. Yeah, when probably As they all, all were. Yeah, they always were. Uh, yes. Uh, com has this. 40,000. Many were freebies.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll bet uh, they were. A, a not yet named Ultimo Dragon works on the undercard on that
0: show. Beats oh. Jerry Estrada. What? Is this Yoshihiro Acai or? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow didn't know that i did not know that now, else, no
2: stone unturned here
0: no stone unturned even if we're not even talking about the wwf kyle because Black. titan titan sports is in the process of trying to sell this new bodybuilding tv show called body stars in syndication uh primetime wrestling gets a facelift there's apparently a last minute change but sadly jameson stays um So, I guess this is just movement on the TV front. More interestingly, this is also the period of time where Jesse Ventura has filed a lawsuit against Vince McMahon. This is where Ventura's suit uh, takes place regarding Ventura's announcing work on the recent mini pay per view shows, such as airing old matches of Hogan. um, Hot ticket. Hot ticket, yet yeah, we talked about that. The WrestleMania matches where Ventura did the announcing on it, as well as coliseum videotape releases. Um, Ventura is claiming that Titan never had the rights to use his commentary except on agreed-upon pay-per-view events, just for the event, uh, on specifically on the superstars of and sorry, and for the specifically superstars of wrestling television show. These yeah. kind of specifically signed deals that didn't talk about again. This is a royalties issue. This was him basically saying that. They you know, they they contracted me to do the commentary for pay-per-views, Superstars of Wrestling. They are using my voice. They're using my work forever and, and profiting from it. There's nothing that he signed that releases them to do that. And he felt that he was owed. And there, there were people that had gotten royalties for videos that were exclusively about them, like the Hulk Hogan video. I think there's a British Bulldogs video where they got paid for it. Um, but Jesse kind of held this up, and he goes over.
2: Yeah, he wins the suit, and that's why... For many years, Jesse Ventura's commentary was absent from the DVD releases.
0: Yeah, which is was hideous. These you know, awkward gaps, and Ventura adds so much. But this yeah. does add. This I, does I, add I, would,
2: I would refuse to watch those matches.
0: Yeah, this is... its it, you can't—you can't. You can't they're, they are—they're literally unwatchable. Especially because they didn't even have the courtesy to cut out when the other announcer was responding to it. <laughs> so it's like you're just yeah. basically just paring them out.
2: Yeah. Thank God that they have done that, and there's yeah yeah that. that they paid him or whatever, yeah. yeah. Jesse, the- Jesse, Jesse always knew. Some people could beat Jerry McDevitt, apparently. I don't know if yeah. Jerry was on this case, but...
0: Jesse's got a pretty good record when it comes to lawsuits. Yes,
2: he does. So yeah, he hats did. off to him, and he was absolutely right. Um <laughs> I just had this down as a random note. I don't know if you caught this, but I was not going to go let this go untalked about. Piper's pals? Yeah, what the uh, fuck is this? So they mentioned it in a random squash match. He's like... This is when, like, you could tell the company's very image conscious. Like, they spent the entire squash match talking about Roddy Piper working with the police league and doing work with the police. Oh, I, just, I just wrote shameless PR amidst all these scandals going on. Yeah. Piper's pals. I don't know how long this lasted. Maybe just long enough for to, to talk about it in one set of TV tapings. <sighs>
0: Piper's pals. That's uh that's special.
2: <laughs> I'm gonna see if there's anything else. Okay, so I just Googled Pipers Pals Police League. Uh absolutely nothing came up. Uh
0: Google Vic Piper's pals.
2: Oh yeah, Rick Piper's pals. There we go. Roddy Piper Police. I-, I just want to see if there's anything else I had. I just it was when I was watching the TV and I just was like, what is this Piper's pals bullshit? <laughs> um also just before we get to this end of 91 depth chart, because I know we want to give that. a yeah, that's interesting. Did you, uh, this was like a random note. This Bruce Grummert, am I getting that name right? The fan who was kicked out uh, for you know yelling at Colonel Mustafa too much? No, what was this? Oh, he was like, uh, apparently was a known smart fan and had <laughs> built a reputation. Yeah, he got the boot from the building for like, I don't know, yelling obscenities at Colonel Mustafa. It was a big thing. <laughs> at least in the newsletters. Bruce Grummer told um, – yeah, but his name was here. Uh, doo, doo, doo. What could he possibly I, yell at, at, at Mustafa that would get him kicked out? Yes, so veteran insider fan Bruce Grummer and the Zajic twins are kicked out of a WF show to do wearing T-shirts and shouting insults at Colonel Mustafa. I think it was like they were wearing WCW T-shirts. Oh,
0: they, there you go.
2: Yeah, but he he had had a reputation, you know, behind you know um, in the dirt sheets as they were, of course, known back then.
0: Yeah, kicked out for obscenity. Maybe he didn't join into the faggot chant quick enough. Yeah, yeah. Trackers, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ.
2: I don't know if it was obscenities or not. Now that I think of it, but I I just thought he was booted, and like I was like, dude, this show's gonna go long, so that's a story we're gonna have to just gloss <laughs> over. with. mention.
0: Yeah. So you you mentioned it there. We were talking. We have teased it earlier on. There is a a note in the Observer, which is really interesting, which Meltzer writes that there is a WWF depth chart that is kept and that here is how the office ranks the guys. This is basically, for those of you who aren't familiar with the concept of a depth chart, most important at the top, least important at the bottom. Babyface depth chart. This is in order. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Sid Justice, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Big Boss Man, Virgil, Marty Jannetty, Texas Tornado, British Bulldog. Pretty low there on the totem pole. yeah. El Matador, so even low on the tone pole, Greg Valentine, Chris Chavez, Chris Walker, who who never made television, but was yeah. kind of always around the house shows during Okay, yeah, I, you
2: know, I apologize, I didn't mean to darn with the okay. It seemed like we're starting okay at the top, and really the... I guess this isn't, like, a horrible babyface roster. We'll compare it to a, a few years earlier in just a moment, but we got to get to the heel side first.
0: Yeah, the heel side. Now, this is where things really come apart at the seams, Listen to this top four. On paper, sounds good. Ric Flair, Undertaker, Jake Roberts, Ted DiBiase.
2: Okay, that's something to work with.
0: IRS. Oh, boy. Mounty. IRS number five heel. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> IRS number five heel. Mounty at number six. Shawn Michaels, freshly turned Shawn Michaels at number seven. Repo Man at number eight. Berserker, Skinner, Warlord, Kato hercules at rock bottom man, not not faring too well uh, there's a similar depth chart for the tag teams lod oh this is the face they face tag teams lod at first slaughter and duggan in second place new foundation third bushwhackers fourth what a what oh, this is this isn't looking good heel tag teams natural disasters first nasty boy second beverly brothers third three heel teams
2: Yeah, because you know, I mean, Cato has made his way into the singles depth chart. I Mm -hmm. I guess Melton, you know, um, so no Orient Express here, even though they do work um, one last time at the Rumble. So, I did in the notes that I leave for you, Liam, to direct the discussion. Say that I will be looking at a Survivor Series poster with the team captains, a Survivor Series '88. Uh, poster with the team captains from that event on it while we do this podcast that is actually not true i'm in a different room i'm not recording in the room with the survivor series 88 poster but i think between the two of us we we can recall who the survivor series 88 co-captains were yes so on the babyface side the top six was hogan savage warrior beefcake beefcake uh roberts and duggan yeah those were the six so and then underneath that, it is kind of weak. I remember like when I did a little write up for Top Rope Nation's Facebook on 80, I was like, God, this is a pretty weak roster, but you had like Hercules. Patera. Yeah. Blue Blazer. Um, Santana was around doing nothing when, while Martel was hurt. Coco, Hillbilly Jim. Yeah. Um, God, who <laughs> else?
0: That's my Scott Casey gets a go. <laughs>
2: Scott Casey does get one on that, yes. And you mentioned Patera, uh, Jim Brunzel. Yeah. Sam, Sam Houston. Houston. Yeah. So the bottom's pretty bad, but let's compare top six baby faces. Cause if you're if you got H- you think about eighty-eight Hogan, eighty-eight Savage, eighty-eight warrior, eighty-eight beefcake, Doug and Roberts. That's pretty strong That's on the baby face side, right? Compare it to ninety-one. So you've got Hogan and Savage, still one and two. Sid Justice, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, and the Big Boss Man. Let's compare and contrast. So the Hogan and Savage are clearly not as over in 91 as they were in 88. No, for sure. And, and that might be, to be honest, the big issue. Sid Justice, do we compare him to the Warrior? That's what I think. In the spot here, who was more over, Sid Justice in 91 or Warrior in 88?
0: Ooh, mmm, quite comparable. Because the Um, warrior
2: really didn't hit his stride until '89. I feel.
0: Yeah, and he got he got like the big boost from smashing Honky, but '89 with Rude is really where he seems to pick up a lot of steam. So um, I'm a wash. Fairly comparable. Yeah, I say it's a wash actually.
2: Now I will say Warrior is the Intercontinental Champion more over than Brett Hart was as the Intercontinental Champion in ninety one. Yeah. Right? I, mean, I think that's yeah. fair. Uh Roddy Piper, who was not around in eighty eight, is back to where does he compare to like a, a Jake Roberts or a Jim Duggan or a Brutus Beefcake in eighty eight? Uh I guess
0: he'd be he'd be over. Beefcake didn't have the main event run yet. So he no. would probably be a he'd be above beefcake he feels closer to Jake.
2: Yeah, he's probably above Duggan too.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and then Big Boss Man, he's kind of in that beefcake Duggan mold. Yeah.
1: Style.
2: So when you compare the top sick baby faces of '88 to the the depth chart '91, it feels like the big deal is just that Hogan's not as big a deal or Savage. Yeah. Um, and then you know we went over it. <laughs> Beyond the top six and eight isn't exactly strong. Now, Marty Janetti, who doesn't last very long, obviously, Tornado doesn't last long, Bulldog, Matador, Valentine. T- I mean, that's not very good either, but. No. It, it doesn't seem like, it, it just seems again, it comes back to Hogan and the top of the card. Uh, heels. <laughs> the the co cap, all right, the 88 co captains on the heel side were Keeman Bossman. Yep. Honky and Bass, bass? yeah, yeah right. Bass sucks. Uh, and then Andre and Bravo, Bravo and then underneath, stinks. you still have like Rick Rude and Teddy Biasi work captains. So like perfect. Rude is D- perfect on the way up. Yeah, so like the, you know, although Bravo and Akeem work, like it feels like you've got more depth there right off the rip on the heel side. Now, Flair, Undertaker, Roberts—that's. Pretty strong at That's the a top, good top here in ninety one. The top three heels in eighty eight would have been Boss Man for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't mention bad news. Bad news is what I was going to say. Who's he was the, With Randy Savage accusing Liz of doing favors. Yep, <laughs> Project Tony. Yeah, that was great. And then honestly, like Andre's probably number three.
0: Yeah, Andre DiBiase was pretty much done by then. So
2: yeah, DiBiase. So it just feels like. I don't. None of them are as strong as Flair, but Flair wasn't necessarily driving mean, Hogan. Boss man out, true Hogan Flair. Yeah, exactly. I, I, but I think that's again owed to Hogan, like in '88, being a bit just a you know not having his reputation soiled and yeah. not being as stale. And I think it's just the case of the heels being a, a much deeper heel side in '88. So, what do you think about the rosters? I guess is is where I am getting at. Ninety one versus '88.
0: Uh, Ninety one does have some 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 pearls. I mean, we're talking about you yeah. know flair he's listed as the top heel but i don't feel like he's i don't i really don't feel like it's until the rumble when they actually go all the way with him where he actually feels like the serious top heel let's be honest like we said in flair's entire time there he's been kind of not doing the most exciting stuff in the world compared to Taker winning the belt from hogan and being the top heel and jake Who's just been on fire as a personality? So Flair, I don't think he's as strong as as whoever the top heel. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, like you said, Hogan and Bossman do better than than Hogan Flair. So I guess that says something.
2: Yeah. So I I just I just thought like it's not as stark as I thought it would be.
0: When I the was- the bottom half feels this is, yeah on the on the the undercard there are far less because the thing is too if we're honest D B R C as good as he is was kind of done as a main event guy. Oh, Summerslam, yeah, yeah, and he's number four on the list. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, you're right. DiBiase being number four in '91 is, you know, it's bad because he was probably lower in '88, and he was a bigger deal in '88. So I I don't know. I think just the lesson learned from this is just with a colder Hogan, a colder Savage, the promotion's colder. It, It, you know, it's it. This is the era of top guys, and th- that's what it is. The top programs just aren't drawn for a variety of reasons. Yeah, And the tag team division, obviously, much stronger.
0: Yeah, we didn't even mention the, the 88 tag match compared to the, the list of teams we just riled off there. That's a, that's a bit of a night and day situation. Sure, sure. So, yeah, yeah
2: I, I, guess there, and I guess there's just one last tip, a very ominous way to
0: end. Absolutely, absolutely. So, there was an episode of Inside Edition that is coming. And Meltzer writes that the story stems from lengthy interviews with superstar Billy Graham and David Schultz. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. A man who is not afraid. We'll get to to it. We'll get to it, everybody. On the subject of anabolic steroids and Hulk Hogan, which was scheduled to air on Friday, January 3rd, which will be prior to most of you reading this, says Dave. Behind the scenes in wrestling, this story has been viewed as having the potential for significant impact and possible embarrassment to the World Wrestling Federation and to Hogan himself. As of this writing, I'm aware of the key statements made on camera by both Graham and Schultz, the Inside Edition reporters, which went a lot farther than what has been reported already, that Graham claimed to have shot Hogan up with injectable anabolic steroids on several occasions in the past. According to top-level producer Sally Brax, this story has been examined closer by the show's attorneys than any piece in the history of the program, which presumably covers a lot of ground considering the type of stories that shows done in the past. This piece will no doubt open the door wide open to more features on the subject. ABC's 2020 has already scheduled a piece for February which would be on the use of steroids in sports in general but would be focusing on pro wrestling and the repercussions of the Zahorian trial. It is expected that the case of Hulk Hogan will be featured as part of the story. The highly rated 60 Minutes television show is said to be considering doing a piece as well. Undoubtedly, far more mainstream media stories will result... From these pieces.
2: And uh, Meltzer notes that the 2020 piece on ABC interviewed him for more than two hours. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it's coming, man. And this is a quote from the 2004 uh, Observer that we've referenced a few times. What almost nobody realized while the steroid scandal was simmering and about to explode was that one person after another attempted to contact Phil Mushnick with tales of sexual misconduct in the WWF, including McMahon's personal limo driver, Jim Stewart, who appeared to be more teasing, having great stories that perhaps like many involved, was looking to be paid to be shut up by McMahon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that you know, we like to joke around. We like to have fun on this podcast, talk about the angles. You know, that's I think what you and I would rather talk about. Yeah. Um, You know, when analyzing the years. But I mean, these scandals really hit the forefront in early 92. And we're going to meet them head on when we do that. Uh, My takeaway from everything we've talked about so far, Liam, the two years we've talked about and the nine pod or the 11 podcasts we have now done together. Nineteen ninety undoubtedly could have been better. Same for ninety one. But by the time 92 rolls around, none of our fantasy booking can save the World Wrestling Federation.
0: No, it is. It is. The storm is on the horizon and there is something. It's going to get real bad. Yeah. you, You can't fantasy book your way out of what is going to happen
2: in the first two to three months of 1992. And that'll be our teaser, I guess.
0: Absolutely. We're going to reconvene, we're going to reassess, and we are going to come back with a probably litany of notes, frankly, to break down everything that goes on in 1992. Uh, but I will say, in terms of a final summary for the year, it's been really interesting looking back at 91, because even heading into where we are now, with just that being the last thing said, I think kind of perfectly sums it up, because start of 1991, Business, you know, the big problem was that business was kind of, you know, business was soft and they were looking to find things that were going to jumpstart. And whether it's just the decisions they made, whether it was chickens coming home to roost that always were going to, or whether it was that the things they did riled up enough interest in being anti-McMahon, anti-WWF, that people were more than happy to, to blow the cover, as it were, for what was really going on. But what was really going on would come out, and we're going to talk all about it when the time is right, Kyle.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is just no sugarcoat. The next three months are as critical in WWF history as any, and it basically kills the promotion for five years.
0: And I could say that we put it better than that. So (laughs) with that being said, and with everything we've examined, I want to thank everybody for listening. Kyle Ross, I cannot thank you enough, not just for this show today, clocking in at three hours as we expected, but the fact that this entire series you've been right along with me fantastic with the notes fantastic with the insights no better person to do this with than yourself and uh it's going to be a pleasure doing 992 i cannot
2: wait i may you know i had such a good time i might start on those notes a little sooner than you think oh here we
0: go all right then folks thank you very much for listening we will talk to you again very soon i am Lima rourke for the great kyle ross we are out of here talk to you again soon peace